For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Here we go on a Thursday, the Sports Bash, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. I'm your host, Mike Gill. Josh Henning is producing today's show. You out there. What is up, my friends? You know, I didn't know this, that we went on the air on 97.3 ESPN on this day in 2009. So it's an anniversary of sorts. Wow. Did you know that? I did not until you told me. Today is the anniversary of I, us going on 97.3 ESPN. Now I, I we walked were, in and you said you have news I could use. And I was like, what was that? And then you told me. Yeah, well, we were previously on the air on 1450 on the AM dial. And uh, 2009, June the 2nd, it was our first show that we did on 97.3 ESPN. Do you know who we had on the show that day as guests? Well, yeah, I think you told me some of the names previously, so it would be a poor guess by me because yeah. everybody knows some of them. So 13 years ago, <laughs> June second, two 2009, uh, we talked to uh, Mitch Williams, Jason Stark, Peter Gammons, and Charles Barkley were the guests on the show that day. And here we are, 13 years later, we're still they're still letting us do it. How about it? Also tells me that we we were talking a lot more Phillies baseball back then than we are. Well, today. if you look at the year two thousand and nine, <laughs> right in the you heart see of that, that run. Uh, they were in the middle of that run, which is uh, where we kind of start today's show. Uh, Thirteen years after they were the talk of the town, they finally got a win last night, and there was something in the win that kind of stands out to me. Okay, um, it's the way they won the game, kind of. But it's also the score of the game and what I heard afterwards. All right. There was a statistic that I heard that kind of meshes into our conversation from yesterday, which is if the Phillies can just score one more run a game, is that enough? Is that enough to kind of change the mojo for this team moving forward? And I heard after the game, I think it was uh, during the post-game live with uh, Michael Barkan, who said, and don't quote me on this exact record, but I want to say that he said they were 14 and 6 or 14 and 7. 14 and 6. Was that the number? That was so the you number. heard what I heard. I heard the same thing you heard, yeah. That stood out to me, that they were 14 and 6 when they score five runs or more. So the question I had been asking the last, you know, couple days with this team being really frustrating is if they can just score one more run per game, will that be enough? Well, they average four and a half runs a game. They average one more run a game. That gets them to 
five and a half runs a game. If they have five and a half runs a game, that means the 14 and six record. That's 20 games right there um, that they have scored five or more games. And if you can win, that's a 70% clip that you're winning games at. And that would be good enough. By the way, if I can pile on a little more, I was doing some research on Kyle Schwarber being the leadoff hitter these last few games. In the five games since Schwarber has been leading off, the Phillies are averaging four runs a game. So, I mean, talk about being right there. Well, last night, no Harper, no Segura. The lineup has a bunch of castoffs and vagabonds at the bottom of the lineup there. But they were somehow able to do it. Well, what were they able to do? Well, they played a little small ball. How about it? Nick Maton puts down a great bunt. That gets a run home. A little safety squeeze. Nick Maton. Now, I would say, don't be typical Philly fans. And be like, oh, Maton, well, he's got to play more. You saw what happens when Maton plays too much last year. He promptly got himself sent right back to the minors. Why? Because he was overexposed at the big league level. He was extremely overexposed at one point. (laughs) But what you can do with Nick Maton is have a guy who can play second, play short, play outfield, and, you know, be a utility guy. Play a couple times a week. Nothing wrong with that. He's got good fundamentals. He's a good guy to have in in the clubhouse and have on your team. Fine. All that good stuff. But the Phillies' win last night had a lot of things in it that we typically don't see. So... Can I buy into what I saw last night and start to feel like, oh, okay, things have uh, changed? Well, not exactly. They lost five straight games, and all of that was, well, not enough runs, not enough timely hitting, and a terrible bullpen. Well, last night they got enough runs, they got some timely hitting, and dare I say the bullpen actually looked very capable problem is I can't believe that Chris Sanchez, who was just called up, is going to come in and shut it down on a nightly basis and hand the ball over to Brad Hand, who's going to shut it down on a nightly basis and then get the ball over to Cordy Canable to get the job done. I just can't trust that. It's like saying that Nelson's going to get you two good innings every night. It's not going to happen. Right. Nelson might come in and get you the first inning, but you ask him to start the second part of that, uh, the second inning, and that's when he starts to get into trouble. So, no, I don't think Christopher Sanchez, wow, Chris Sanchez looked pretty good. He had a one, two, three inning last night. Yeah, well, that's a rarity. I mean, this is a guy who just got called up from AAA earlier in the day, and we were quite surprised that they even made the call to put him in in that situation last night. Now, I don't know who was available and who wasn't available, but he apparently leapfrogged over a bunch of guys in a pretty key spot in that game last night. In fact, they were commenting on the broadcast about, wow, uh, this is a pretty interesting spot to put Sanchez in the game. So Sanchez comes in in the seventh inning. And by the way, as you've outlined, Mike, we don't even know who's available or not because the manager himself keeps changing his story about who is available for what reason on a day-to-day basis. Right, like, I don't know why Sir Anthony Dominguez would not have been a guy who had, would have been thought of in... Now, he went with two lefties. So I get Sanchez is a lefty, Hand is a lefty. So we went with the two lefties, and then he went to Canable. So I guess not remembering... 
exactly who uh, was up to bat when all the, I guess I'm imagining when Sanchez came into the game, there had to be some lefties. Yeah, there were. I think the theory was that they brought in Sanchez because there were a couple lefties. I think it was what the two of the next five guys. Let me double check. But like, I was just surprised they went lefty lefty because then they went to hand after that. I was like, ah, I wasn't expecting that. Well, he came in in the seventh. Sanchez did. And in the seventh inning, when he came in, he ended up getting uh, Gonzalez, Walton, and Estrada. So he had that part of the order. And then they had Hand come in, and he's got the top half of the lineup, uh, or the middle of the lineup, with Longoria, Yastrzemski, and Flores. So they had uh, a couple of lefties couple in there. A couple lefties there, yeah. Yeah. So, and remember, the, the, the guy has to stay in for three at-bats. But moral of the story I don't trust that bullpen. <laughs> that didn't change anything last night. I think what it did show is that Knable's a capable guy. Is he an elite guy? No. I think what we talked about the other day is like, hey, if you had Knable and he was your eighth inning guy, you feel a lot better, right? But part of getting Knable is probably that he has a chance to close games. Correct. So he's your closer. All right. You feel good about that. I For mean. Now. For now. And I don't hate Knable as the closer. I mean, there's not a lot of elite closers in the game. But the, the bigger point is, it's not like you have a ton of options with this team either way. No, my point, like, McGarry brought up an interesting point yesterday. It's like, hey, if you had a better bullpen, you know, maybe Knable, you, you don't, he's not your closer. He's your eighth inning guy. Right. You don't have that luxury, though. There just wasn't those guys to go out and go get. So you went out and got the best guy you could find, and you made him your closer. You also got him before the lockdowns happened. You know, the, the lockout came into place th- basically two days after you signed Canable, basically. It was like two or three days later. So you, you were trying to get somebody. Well, th- I don't you know, understand why the timing of when they got him. Well, because there were a lot of guys who were not going to sign at that point, and there were a lot of teams who were scrambling trying to get guys locked up before the lockout happened. So, I mean, because they weren't going to get. Well, they could have maybe gotten Kenley Jansen. I was going to say, they weren't going to get Jansen. But that's my Although point. it was a little bit of a surprise that he left the Dodgers to go to the Braves. Right. But but the thing was is that, you know, in, in a market where you didn't have a lot of bullpen guys available, it felt like they were trying to lock somebody up before the lockout happened because a lot of people were unsure, like, what was going to happen. Yeah, well, I think they just knew, knew they needed somebody. The right. problem was they couldn't afford to bring in multiple guys where, all right, if I were to say to you, what if you sign Kenley Jansen and Knable and didn't sign Castellanos? I mean, maybe your bullpen has two less blown saves, but... Right, like, do you like that trade-off? Like, if I said, you got Jansen and Knable, but you didn't get Schwarber, where you didn't get... Castellanos would be the guy you probably wouldn't have. Like, you probably could have got three guys. Knable, if you said, all right, let's go get Jansen. Now, Jansen's pitching pretty well. Uh, not great. He's not lights out. He's got 12 saves. Yeah, he's not the Jansen he used to be, but he's certainly better than the Rando who's pitching for the Dodgers right now. <laughs> uh, Josh Hader leads the league in saves. After that, I don't know that anybody's heard of any of the next group of guys that are saving games that are some of the best closers, quote-unquote, quote unquote. in baseball right now. <laughs> uh, you know, Taylor Rogers, by the way, is second in the league in saves right now. I'm imagining most people aren't all that familiar with who he is. But that's the kind of guy that the Phillies don't have. It's that young guy that you're not all that familiar with who comes in, he throws hard, and he's got great stuff. I mean, closers are becoming these guys whose shelf life is very short. 
You know, give me three. They're like running backs. Give me three years, throw as hard as you can, and then we'll just move on and find somebody else. The problem is the Phillies haven't been able to find somebody else, let alone find somebody. So they have to keep going out, and I'm picking up your seventh inning guy, you know, because, oh, he, he was pretty good in the seventh inning, and he has good stuff. And I'm going to make him my ninth inning guy. Well, guess what? That's where you get some inconsistencies. And, look, Knable's been okay. Now, he came in. I thought he looked good last night. He looked good last night, got out of that inning without a lot of um, issue. And the Phillies' bullpen helped them. Yes, they were a part of why they won that game last night. They absolutely were. And it also helps them they have a day off today because now— Does it, though? Does it help them? And it's almost like the perfect Phillies storm is they finally win a game. They, they, they have a good bullpen— they hit the ball. They had some timely hits, and you feel like maybe some momentum, and then here's an off day. Well, it feels like because there was no Harper yesterday, you know, Girardi keeps moaning and complaining about playing guys, pitching guys too many consecutive days. Having a day off at least puts them in a position to just say, all right, everyone gets a day rest. Well, listen, it certainly helps to get the guys rest, but, you know, if you finally had a little good mojo feeling, I think you want to kind of build off that. And now you have the Angels coming into town. They're actually playing today, uh, right now, against the Yankees. Should be an electric atmosphere, I would think, at Citizens Bank Park this weekend. I say electric atmosphere, I think. That's because Mike Trout's coming to town. So I think people will be here to see Mike. He was supposed to be here a couple of years ago, and the COVID came. Right. And so Trout has not played a game in, front of Philly in Philadelphia for... My God, I think I was at the last game he was at. We broadcast it live from the ballpark the day that Trout played in Philly for the first time. So how long ago was that? I want to say 2015. You're going back a ways. (laughs) Trout's been in the league now 10 years. So you're going back to what, 2000. Uh, thirteen, two thousand fourteen, maybe sometime back in that in that time frame. So Trout and the Angels will be in town this week. The Phillies finally get the win. We'll get the pitching matchups for you. But look, the fourteen and six record when they score five runs or more, I think that number stands out as what we talked about yesterday. And what we talked about yesterday is if the Phillies' offense. Can start to turn it on. Can the Phillies offense get going? Can they start to get hot? Can they get a couple more contributions from this group of guys? Is there more in Schwarber? I think there is. Is there more in Castellanos? I think there is. Is there more in JT Romuto? I think there is. So can this group of hitters that they put together start to get hot, and if they all start to get hot at the same time, watch out. But can Schwarber, he's hitting 192. You know, what's Schwarber's career batting average, right? I mean, he's not a 192 hitter. He's not a, he doesn't have a great batting average uh, career-wise, but he is a career 233 hitter, which isn't great, by the way, but he's hitting 192 right now. So if he can get himself up to around 233, I mean, he means he's gotten a little hot streak in him. Now, last year in Boston, he hit 291. I don't think he's going to get to 291. But in Washington last year, he was 250. So let's see if he can get somewhere in between 291 and 250. 
Then all of a sudden you got a guy who's probably heated up a little bit. Then you go to another guy like Nick Castellanos. All right, Nick Castellanos. Right now, I think Castellanos has been average. He's been okay. He's hitting 256, which isn't optimal. Not for the money he makes. You'd like to see him a little bit better than that. Although I don't know what average now people actually want to see players have. But 256 to me is pretty low. He hit 309 last year. Well, he's a 277 career hitter. So can he get somewhere between 256 and 309? Well, that would be about 277, which is what he hit last year. That means what? That there's a hot streak somewhere in there. So those two guys right there, if those two guys can get a little change going, and then the other guy would be Real Muto. Real Muto right now is at 247, which is unacceptably low for what I'm saying it's unacceptably low. Again, again, my standards are a little high that 247 is unacceptable for me. Apparently, uh, people who teach hitting nowadays, 247 is somewhat acceptable. Well, they were as long like- as you strike out, as long as your 247 comes with 10 strikeouts and one homer mixed in there, that'll be okay. What they were saying on MLB Network is if, if you're batting at least 250, then you're doing fine now because of the That's way horrible. baseball has become. That's just horrible. So 247, I guess, is fine. So JT Ramuto is having a fine year right now? Not a fine year. By those standards, he's having a fine year. He's having a below average year. Well, he's hitting three points under 250. By the way, the last time Mike Trout played in Philadelphia was May 13th and 14th of 2014. Gotcha. So 2014, you're going back uh, eight years now. Yeah, he's played Philadelphia, but both of those times were out in his house in Anaheim. Well, Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim or whatever they're called now. Yeah. All right, well, um, Real Muto's career average is 274, which, by the way, the three years he's been in Philly, he has hit under his career average all three seasons. How about that number? That's insane. And he And people thought enough of him, the fans thought enough that they wanted to sign him and he didn't even reach his career batting average in any of those three years. In fact, it's lowered because in Philly he's at 275. So I guess he hit his career average once. 275. Although I guess he wasn't a 274 hitter when he got here. He was probably higher than that. Right. He was probably closer to probably like 280 something. 266, 263 and now he's at 247. But if he's a guy that can get from 247 to, say, 260, that means there's a hot streak somewhere left in him. So it all comes back to what we discussed a little bit yesterday, is can the Phillies get this hot streak with the offense? Can they get an extra run a game? And if they get an extra run a game, is that enough for them? I mean, they're certainly capable of doing it because, one, as you mentioned, the 14-6 and record when they do. And second, like I said, since Schwarber, I'll pull up the full the full stat thing I did research on earlier. So in the five games Schwarber has been the leadoff hitter, they're averaging four runs a game. So they're right there statistically. And since Schwarber got back in the leadoff spot, he has a three seventy five on base percentage. So he he's his on base percentage is up compared to what it was. He's walking. He's actually fourth in the National League and walks this short. I had no idea it was that high. Yeah. So 
maybe there is something to well, this whole you, Schwarber and the leadoff hitter thing. If you look at his on-base percentage, even though his batting average is under 200, his on-base percentage is over 300. He has the fourth best OVP on the Phillies roster. Which isn't good because it's 314. It was just not very good. 314, 302 Hoskins, 311 Castellanos, 324 Real Muto. Boehm is at 304. Herrera's 307. Camargo's 308. I mean, this team just doesn't get on base. By the way, the two of the guys ahead of him on the on-base percentage of the roster both didn't play last night. Yeah, Segura I would imagine Segura and Harper are the two top guys, <laughs> and they didn't play last night. And Real Muto's the other one. All right, so 609. 403-0973. That's the text board. 609-403-0973. Text board open. I'm not telling you that you should change your mind about the Phillies at all. Nope, not at all. But last night is a, their recipe. They got to score six runs, five, six runs. They need their bullpen to do their job. And I'm not saying they have to be shut down like they were last night, every single night, but they didn't give up a run last night. Sanchez came in, pitched one inning, threw nine pitches. Thank you very much. Have a nice night. Here's your check. Brad Hand threw one inning, struck out two. Great job. You know, Brad Hand, by the way, lowered his ERA to 120. And Corey Knable came in and did exactly what you want the closer to do. Came in, made quick work, got out of that inning, no base runners, got a strikeout. Thanks for playing. That's the recipe. Score five or more. Now, last night, San Francisco scored five, so you need it six. Nola, what's the new word for pitchers? What, quality start? Yeah, quality start. Would that be a quality start last night? Six innings, five hits, five runs, five earned, five strikeouts? He allowed one hit to the first five innings. Yeah, he was excellent. And then and the then, sixth inning came around, it was just like, I am cooked. Yeah, he had a rough little go there. All right, we got a busy show for you today. The NBA Finals start tonight. I do want to get in on this because there's a lot of conversation. We haven't talked a lot about the NBA Finals this week because I wanted to save it for uh, today's show. Bob Wankel will be back at 3 o'clock to talk Phillies. Also, coming up at 5 o'clock tonight, former Sixer Eric Snow is going to join me. We'll get his thoughts on the NBA Finals. And also, what do you think the window is for Joel Embiid and the Sixers? as constructed with Joel Embiid as the guy. Is Joel Embiid good enough to be the best player on the best team? We'll ask Eric Snow from the Believe uh, Network coming up at 5 o'clock. So Bob Wankel at 3, Eric Snow at 5, Keith Smith on the NBA Finals at 5.30, football at 4. We're going to start our division previews today with Andrew DiCecco. Every Thursday, we'll preview a different division. Today, we start with the AFC East. Jets, Dolphins, Patriots, and Bills. And by the way, speaking of the Jets and the Dolphins, former Jet Dolphin, among other teams, Ryan Fitzpatrick. And I guess he played for the Bills, too. And the Rams. Well, I'm talking about in the AFC. Oh, Did you catch my theme there? He played for every team but the Patriots. That's right. AFC. Those three teams. Ryan Fitzpatrick retired today. And apparently, he is going to be joining Amazon to be a part of their Thursday night football pregame show. I think it's interesting because I've seen Fitzpatrick be very smart and analytical and serious. But he's also very good at turning on the goofy side. So I want to find out, you know. 
how does he how does he translate that onto this new arena? Well, we'll have to see. That'll be uh, Amazon Prime Thursday nights. It looks like. All right, Sports Pass Live, 97.3 ESPN. Uh, by the way, the hockey last night, the Rangers beat Tampa 6-2. What a great atmosphere. That crowd was nuts. The, the, after they scored the first goal on that breakaway, you you could feel the crowd through the TV. You were like, oh, man. All right, more of that coming up. Sports Pass Live, 97.3 ESPN. Now, back to the sports. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. ESPN. Two twenty nine is the time. Ninety seven three ESPN is the place. Download the free mobile app. Ninety seven three ESPN dot com slash app. Powered by First Bank of Sea Isle. You know I'm getting excited, Josh, because the football schedule is out. But now we're starting to get the games released. What games are going to be on and where? I was going through the uh, Monday night. Sunday night and Thursday night schedule. Starting to see what kind of primetime matchups we're getting. You know, we're inside 100 days now to the NFL season start. The other day, we were 100 days to the college football season. Now we're inside 100 days to the NFL season starting. So we got that. Exciting. I think training camp, there's no date yet for Eagles training camp. But last year, it started right around July 28th. So we're... Probably less than two months from Eagles training camp starting. Yeah, I, I would think that we're, we're pretty much in the in the, getting into that zone where we're counting the weeks instead of the months here. Right, so we'll start our division breakdowns with Checo on Thursdays. That'll take us right up to training camp. Today we're going to start the AFC East, which I think for the first time, I don't want to say first time in a while because I think everybody thinks the Bills are the favorites, but I think for the first time in a while that there are a couple of teams. You had the Patriots last year made the playoffs. The Bills made the playoffs. The Dolphins are starting to get better. And the Jets actually, dare I say it, may not be a complete dumpster fire in the ASC East. That's very fair to say. I think the Jets have made some good improvements this offseason. Well, a lot of people have some actual anticipation for the Jets this year. But everybody seems to be in agreement that the Bills are the best. And then you, of course, have the Patriots. Are we finally done with the feeling that the Patriots are something? Well, I think the Patriots are still there. I mean, they're... They or are they have... just there, though? Or are they, well, they're the Patriots. Like, they were... Well, they're the Patriots no matter what because they had Brady and Belichick. Do we still feel that way because Belichick's there? Is Mac Jones enough to make us feel they won 10 games last year? They made the playoffs last year. But with Josh McDaniels leaving, the big question is, Belichick won't tell anybody who's the play caller going into the year. He's been playing very coy with that. So there's a lot of speculation that Belichick is going to basically turn the offense into this, you know, this uh, 
You remember how the Eagles didn't actually have an official coordinator at one point? <laughs> and, you know, because they didn't have an official coordinator, the guy didn't have to talk to the media. Think of what Pellis was trying to do in New England, not actually announce coordinators so no one has to well, talk to the media. Well, and I'll him. say this. I'll add this. Andy Reid was a terrific coach. The biggest mistake he ever made was he made his defensive line or his offensive line coach his defensive coordinator. Right. You know, is Bill Belichick getting a little too cute with some of these guys? I think he is. I really do. I think that Belichick is starting to toe that line between, you know, being in control and just being ridiculous. Well, the Patriots, to me, are very interesting. Buffalo, I think, is fair to be the clear favorite there. But I think Miami is sneaky. They were 9-8 and eight last year. And people forget, you know, they were kind of a hot team the year before. And then yep. they've had a Tyreek Hill. So, that's a team, Buffalo won 11 games, New England won 10, and Miami won 9. Those three teams were within two games of each other, from first to third place. I don't know that it's as cut and dry as it feels like to many people. Buffalo's the favorite to win the Super Bowl for a lot of people. They are, and I wouldn't know if I would personally go that far, but I do think Buffalo, they're definitely the favorite not just to win the division, but they're a favorite to get to the championship game. Them and the Chiefs, obviously. Right. So, Buffalo last year was plus 194, dominating, right? They scored 483 points. New England was right there with them. They were a plus 159. They scored 462 points. They had a pretty high-powered offense in the end of the day. New England had one of the better offenses in the entire league. Who? How many people would have thought that? If I say, hey, rattle off some of the best offenses in the league last year. The question is, though, is how much of that was Josh McDaniels and how much of that was the personnel? Fair question, definitely. And I don't think their personnel was all that great last year. No. I mean, they don't have a big playmaking receiver. No, they don't have they... a big playmaking uh, running back. Their offensive line isn't special. I mean, it's it's a solid group of guys. They're like hard workers, but they don't have like that standout group offensive front. I think for them, to, when I read the point differentials, I said, New England had one of the best offense. Wait, what? They scored the third most points. Uh, one, two, three. So the fourth most. They scored the fourth most points in the conference last year. It was, it was, uh, Buffalo one, Kansas City two, the Chargers were three, and New England was four. They were the four best offenses in the AFC last year. And it's fair to say that people are so confident the Chiefs are going to be up there because they have Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. The Bills are mostly the same aside from Dayball leaving. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the Patriots... That's another thing, though. You're talking about New England and the play caller. What about Buffalo? Their play caller left... Sean McDermott's a defensive coordinator mine. He's not going to call the plays. No. So Buffalo also has a new play caller. Yeah, I believe it's actually, I think they promoted their quarterback coach, Ken Dorsey. That's right. The former uh, Miami uh, Hurricane. <laughs> right city, wrong league. <laughs> quick uh, quick flub. You yeah. yourself, though. Yeah, Kevin, uh, Ken Dorsey. He played for the U. Yeah. So Buffalo's got a new coordinator. Why aren't we worried about them? Well, because it's a situation where... People have this assumption that Josh Allen is this top-tier quarterback with or without the coordinator. But if it wasn't for that coordinator, Josh Allen 
might not have gotten to where he's gotten to. The whole point, the reason why people think the Giants are something is because Davis does a great job developing Josh Allen. So is there a possibility maybe both Buffalo and New England take a step back offensively? And Miami passes them. By the way, did you watch any of the match last night? I did not. I only saw the highlights. Uh, Apparently, uh, Josh Allen's fat. Yeah, they kept going. If he's in fat, fat, I'm in real bad shape, man. <laughs> right. My God. But Brady was, like, relentless on poor Josh Allen. Oh, Brady was relentless about everything, apparently, from the highlights I saw. I mean, he just kept <laughs> I watched a little talking. bit of it. The moment that I watched, Josh Allen hit a great shot, and then Mahomes one-upped him and hit a tremendous shot. Now, I didn't watch a whole heck of a lot of it, but there was a part where he, they were interviewing Brady while he was driving from his shot, his tee shot to somewhere, and he, they were talking to him for a while. I, I guess his niece or something plays softball for UCLA. They were playing today in the College World Series. Okay. So he was all amped up about the College Women's Softball World Series. Um, I didn't hear Aaron Rodgers at all. I didn't hear him talk. One, I didn't hear Josh Allen either. I heard a little bit of Mahomes. I wasn't, like, laserly locked in on this, but I did watch a little beetle of it where I was like, eh, okay. Yeah. For me, it was I completely forgot about it. Me too. I didn't. I had no idea that it was on last night until I brought up my guide. And you know, on the Comcast guide, now I have Comcast in my bedroom. Mm-hmm. On the Comcast guide, they do have like ads for the channels, like deeper down the guide sometimes. Right. So there was like an ad for TNT, the match. And I was like, oh, I totally forgot about this. I'd like to see what the present. I didn't realize Ernie Johnson and. Charles Barkley were doing the coverage. I knew Barkley was doing because he was yucking it up during the uh, the uh, inside the NBA shows, saying that, "Hey, you know, I can't wait for the match. Can't wait to get out of here. Can't wait for the golf." You know, and they kept you know busting his chops that you know he he wanted the Mavericks Warriors series to end as soon as possible. Yeah, well, it, it was you know it was fun. It was light. You know, it, you know, it, it was definitely like I watched for probably a total of twenty minutes last night. I watched like one whole hole, if you will, and and you were like, right. and you were like, I got, I got my fill of it. My thing was like, I said to my girlfriend, she said, "Were you watching golf last night?" Like she was out like a light. I was like, "Yeah, it was this thing." And she's like, "Well, who played?" I was telling her, she knew Rogers, she knew Brady, she knew Mahomes, and she said, "Well, who's Josh Allen?" <laughs> and I said, "Well, he's the quarterback for the Bills." But I thought it was very interesting because I was listening to a podcast today, mm-hmm. uh, Sports Media Watch. Um, they were talking about the NBA ratings. And he was talking about how this is the matchup the NBA wanted, but how Jason Tatum is not a known guy. He's not a household name. Right. He said, just like Jimmy Butler. He's like, people don't know who Jimmy Butler was. And he equated it to, hey, if Jason Tatum was walking through a mall in Montana how many people would actually know who he is? And that, to me, was like my thought when she said, well, who's Josh Allen? I mean, this is the guy who could be the MVP of the league, and really not that many people knew who Josh Allen really is. And his whole thing was, if you are someone who never watched any sports at all, and I say the name, and you still know who that is, that means you're drawing ratings. And his point was... Jason Tatum will probably not draw ratings. Jimmy Butler, not a big enough player to draw ratings. In fact, he said the Celtics, they don't draw ratings, you know, their names. They don't have a player that is big enough 
to draw ratings for them. So he's very intrigued by what the ratings of this series are going to end up being. Now, you have the Celtics name. That's the biggest thing. The Celtics name. Right? The fact that they're the Boston Celtics. Up against the Warriors, who have Curry. And are now the Warriors. The Warriors have kind of established themselves. It's going to be very interesting where this all sits, say, 40 years from now. Like 30 how, years how from now. Back on everything. Well, like where we are like 30 years from now. Like we still say Celtics. And a lot of what we think of the Celtics is based on what they did in the 80s. And then the runs before that with Bill Russell. Right. You're going back to the 60s, right? So, God, 30 years from now will be almost 100 years from when Bill Russell was winning those championships, for God's sake. Right. But, yeah, how will, like, we view certain teams and the franchise, the Cowboys. I mean, the only reason we view the Cowboys have any microcosm of success is essentially what they did in... The, the 90s. In two decades. And 70s then before and that 90s. in the 70s. That's it. Right. But the 70s are now, you're going on 50 years. Right. Since, the, since those teams. But our vision, our thought of what that franchise is, is based on some of the things they did 50 years ago. Yeah. So and- are we going to, like, when we were growing up as kids, you know, twenty when I was in my 20s. The Warriors weren't even a. They were the Sacramento. They might as well have been the Sacramento Kings, the Golden State Warriors. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know if I can, I can name anybody from the. Team oh come on, point. they had Chris Mullen well, and no, they, I think Mitch for, Richmond and well, Tim Hardaway. I mean, they had well, that yeah, crew. Well, they had Mullen for the majority of the nineties. Like I traded Indiana. TMC was the early nineties when it was Hardaway and Richmond. But then both those guys got you know shipped out. Yeah, but those guys were there for most of my. Middle school, high school, middle years. school, high school. But yeah, that's what I'm saying. 20s. But like, my point is, the the Golden State Warriors have a totally different look. You feel totally different about that franchise now. Correct. They were a joke. They were a laughingstock. They were a nothing. They were the Sacramento Kings. Right. I mean, they were nothing. Maybe slightly better. Heck, but. the Sacramento Kings back then were thought of as higher than the Warriors. They were actually really good. In the 90s? Yeah, they had Weber. That was late 90s. That was late 90s, early 2000s. So the 90s, the late 90s, not quite. What am I supposed to, am I supposed to say the 2000s? It was the 90s. Well, you're, you're overlapping eras here. It's like. No, it's the 90s. <laughs> Those Kings teams took place in the 90s. You're looking at 95, 96, 97, 98, 99. I'm sorry, where I'm from, that all qualifies as the 90s. Does it not? I mean, those Kings teams. That had Weber. I mean, when Weber called timeout. Weber was in Sacramento starting in 1998. That qualifies as the 90s, does it not? That's the late 90s. Oh, late 90s, early 90s, middle 90s, whatever 90s you want to call it. He played in the Kings in the 90s. Okay, and that's so when they were good. So the, so, the, so the Spurs were champions in the 90s. Because they have won championship in the 90s. They won a championship in the 90s. 99. Okay, Jordan well, ruled the 90s. You're missing what I'm saying here. At that era in the 90s, okay, which 1998 does qualify. What do you want me to call it? You, you, what do you want to name Should I say it's the 2000s? Well, I'm just saying. But we're saying 1998? There's, there's different 
parts of different eras that are not full overlaps. Okay. I'll get very literal for you so that you understand and nobody else pays it to, can pay attention to uh, this. You're, so you're telling me nobody else in our audience. <laughs> yes, that's what I'm saying. You're saying I'm the only person. I am saying that. I think that's an irrational I was statement in, by you. When I was in college is what the mark I made. When I was growing up and I was in college, the Kings were a relevant franchise. When I was in college, it was 1995, 96, 97, 98, 99. That was the time I was in college. So when I was in college watching the NBA playoffs, Chris Webber played on those teams. They all occurred in the 90s, whether it was 1998 or 1999. Where I'm from, that qualifies as the 90s. I'm sorry if you think that's a different era, but that's the 90s. And Chris Webber and that team from the Kings in 1998, 1999, they were better than the Warriors were. Were they not? Yes, at right. that specific point in time. That's all I said. Is when I was in college, when I was growing up, when well, I was in high school. Again? Well, I was in high school. I graduated in ninety five. Okay. All right. And I was in college. I started in ninety five. I graduated in two thousand. So by the time I was done college, Chris Weber was playing for the Kings. Right. Okay. Which was the nineties. When you got to college, he was playing for the Washington Bullets with Tim Legler. <laughs> Yeah, like the early part of the 90s. But the late 90s, the Kings were really good. Yes, late 90s. That's still the 90s, is it not? Okay, the uh, I don't know what era I'm supposed to call that then. If it's in the 1990s, am I not supposed to call it the 90s? Yes, as, as a general macro perspective. But for the majority of that decade, the Kings were horrible. They were decent before they got Weber. They had 27 and 55, Bibby. 27 and 23 during the lockout year. That was their first winning year. Yeah, they had uh, they had like Doug Christie and Bibby. 34 and, and 48, 39 and 43. Yeah, they were like a Sixers team. They were like a middle of the road, like 8-9 seed, somewhere in that range. They were constantly just uh, sitting in the middle of life. But... You go back to the Warriors teams, they were pretty terrible. All of the Warriors' perception has been changed based on very 2012. Recently. It's all very recent. Basically, 2015, I should say, because 2012 is when they got, they started this little run, but they weren't the, the Warriors yet. They were building. What year is that? The 2000s, the 2010s? What should I call that one? That's the 2010s. I mean, is that like the late 2010s? Did call it the 2010s? Is that what it's called? I have no idea. I can't even call the 90s the 90s, apparently. If you're in the 90s, 90s, you can't even say the 90s. But you say, you're saying that Chris Webber and the Kings in the 90s. And it's like, well, it got there in 98. Well, he was there when I was in college, which was in? 98? The Part of what era? Come on, you can say it. I know you can. I get this is a huge fact check right here. The 1990s were actually the 1998 was actually a part of the 90s. Now I need to fact check I'm that. I'm doubting it was in the 90s, but you, the way you framed it was they were they were a relevant team for that decade. No, when I was in college is what I said. Well, that's a little different. Well, that's what I said. In the 90s, when I was in college, that's when I was in college in the 90s. I remember watching the Kings play the Lakers in the playoffs and got screwed in that series. Which year was that? 1998. You mean the Lakers series? Yeah. Was it 2000, 2001? 90s. By the way, the, the Warriors during their college years were 30 and 52, 
19 and 63, 21 and 29, in 1963. They were one of the worst teams in basketball. But before that, they were a winning team. Well, that was when they had Mullen, right. Hardaway, and that's when I was in high school, which is what I said earlier. Early 90s. Exactly. See? If you just listen and let it process, you will say, oh, you're right. He's right. The early 90s, when I was in high school, the Warriors were good. The late 90s, when I was in college, the Kings were good. That's what I was saying the whole time. That's what I said. No, no. You said... Chris Webber and the Kings in the 90s. Like it was the entire decade. He played with the Kings in the 90s. For two years of the 90s. So part of the, everybody out there, is the 98 and 99, do they qualify no, no, no. as that's being not, part of the 90s? The, the text board is 609-403-973. Am I the only one who delineates different eras of sports by when well, of course, if late and early and mid? Well, oh, well, you're saying... If you're saying the late 90s isn't the 90s, it's the late 90s. Right. Well, that's ridiculous. Uh, Frank agrees with me, and I'm sure many more do. More text messages on the way. Will you actually read any text Yeah, I'm going to read this Frank one off right now. You would like me to read it? I agree with the 90s being inclusive across all 10 years. Frank and EHC. However, the Kings' stretch of being good was 99 up until the infamous 2003 playoffs. That team specifically needs a subcategory. Wow, he's going extra cut. <laughs> Frank outdid me. All right, more Sports Bash on the way. Now, back to more For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. Click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. On 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. All right, Sports Bash. Uh, Bob Wankel's going to talk to Phil's on the other side. By the way, Lawrence from Delaware, he kept it quick to the point. Mike is right. Period. You don't have any support so far, but I'll keep the text board open for you 609-403-0973 well, I felt like Frank was almost trying to agree with both of us he I was kind of like trying to I think he was trying to like he was trying <laughs> to way, find the speaking of game. that time like Jeff Petrie won the executive of the year for the Kings twice within a three year span someone needs to where's Jeff Petrie right I mean the fact that the Kings have been such a dumpster fire since he won Executive of the Year twice. He won in uh, 98-99 and then again 74 years old. That's the 30 for 30 I need. What happened to Jeff He's 74 years old now, so he probably got old. Uh, He won the Executive of the Year in 98-99 and then again in 2000-2001. And of course, the year that they lost that game to the Lakers, that was in 2001-2002. They finished first Number one in the Pacific Division. They were the number one seed that year. They were the number two seed the next year. After that, they kind of started to fall apart a little bit. Tim Donaghy ruined the game. Could have been something special. Could have been. Bob Wankel, are the Phillies, was there any signs that they start to turn things around? Doubtful. He joins me next. 
This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. All right, 3 o'clock, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. What's up, everybody? This hour of the show brought to you by AC Airport. Plan your summer vacation now. Spirit Airlines is offering nonstop flights from Atlantic City International Airport to Boston, Atlanta, San Juan, Miami, and other exciting destinations. Visit spirit.com. NBA Finals Game 1 tonight. You can hear the action on 97.3 ESPN. It starts at 8 o'clock. Celtics and Warriors. Eric Snow will join me at 5 o'clock tonight from Believe. We'll get his thoughts on that. Sixers thoughts and more. Right now, Phillies finally end that losing streak. And they do it with uh, Bryce Harper and Gene Segura out of the lineup. Who would have figured that would finally be what you need to win a baseball game? Get two of your best hitters out of the lineup. That's the way things have, uh, go for this team. You get a perfect game from the bullpen. And are things finally starting to feel right? Bob Wankel, crossing broad, is here to uh, post Memorial Day look at this Phillies team, Bob, which looked awful for a month of May. The other day we had Joe Girardi say, well, June has to be better, doesn't it? Is this the first sign that things are getting better? So uh, they scored six runs, and I heard the stat last night. What are they, 14 and six when they scored five runs or more? That was kind of the recipe. So with the weather changing, they average about four and a half runs a game. Can they get that up a tick to about five and a half? Is that possible? If they uh, are going to average five and a half runs per game, they're going to be the best best offense in baseball, um, which I don't foresee. I mean, listen, I don't know if it was just because it was a long week down there. The game, the game on Tuesday night was five hours. I, I don't know what it is, man, but I have to tell you, Mike, like I – I really don't see it with this team, and uh, it's exhausting. It's exhausting that we're 51 games into this season, and it feels like we're 151 games in, and it's just hard to really look at anything that's happening right now with with really any optimism. And I, I don't mean to come on here a day after a nice little win where they rally late, and, and maybe that gets them going. I'm not telling you the season's over or anything like that, but they have so, so many issues right now. You're right, and I don't think you're in the wrong for you know saying, hey, it's it, even though you won the game last night, it, the way they won that game is not sustainable with Nick Maton bunting one, Nick Maton hitting a home run two, uh, the bullpen pitching three scoreless frames three. You know, like it's just not a sustainable way to win baseball games with the way they won yesterday. Yeah, I mean, listen, I will say this: the bullpen in April was not was not great, but it wasn't terrible. And so if you're trying to be optimistic today, you look at this and say the bullpen cannot possibly be as bad as it was in the month of May. But and maybe you can hold on to that. But then you think about it, you're like, well, this bullpen was terrible in 2020. The bullpen was terrible in 2021. They're, they're missing like three arms. They don't have any depth out there. So, I mean, will it be as bad as it was during the month of May? Probably not. But like, can you really lean on that and say, oh, they're going to be all right moving forward? No, probably, probably not. And the one thing I will say is this. You get some young players up and and you just provide a different look, a different feel. And like, no, you're not going to be able to rely on Nick Maton night in, night out. But the energy in that clubhouse right now is so bad and things have been so 
so bad now for for an extended period of time like you almost just wonder if changing a face or two might not provide a little bit of a spark even if the player coming up isn't as good well yeah Maton. i mean i i said it before i don't want the philly fans to become philly fans here and be like you gotta play Maton every day we saw that already i mean they tried that last year when he gave them a little spark they overexposed them and that got him sent right back to triple a he is what he is but yeah can they get a couple of guys who can do different things? Like Girardi laying down a bunt. I don't know if it's Girardi who called a bunt or what, but they laid a bunt down in that spot. Uh, San Francisco happens to be the only team that can match you in ineptitude for defensively. And because of it, you know, Maton filled a role last night. But, you know, you, you can't count on Nick Maton that type of thing all the time. And I think, like, the, the classic Philly fan is you got to play John Mayberry Jr. because he hit two home runs in like a three-day span. Like, no, you play John Mayberry Jr. and he ends up stinking. Well, really, you're you're going to have to probably play some combination of Bryson Stott and Nick Maton here. So there is going to be a little bit of a let the kids play with, with Gene Segura now out 10 to 12 weeks. Didi Gregorius will come back here shortly. He could be activated as soon as this weekend. And, and that'll help a little bit, but you're still going to have to fill it in at second base. So there's a need there where I think that same idea applies, goes out to center field. And this is a really interesting conversation because we're, you know, I think the whole city collectively has Odubel Herrera fatigue. You know, you see the mental lapses on the field. I know a lot of fans have personal feelings about what happened with him off the field a couple of years ago. But it's interesting as much as this offense is kind of scuffling right now and as inconsistent as it as it's been, Odubel Herrera, other than Bryce Harper, is the one player, one Phillies regular in the lineup that's actually sniffing an OPS around 800. He's actually been fairly productive. Um, so now he he kind of takes a backseat to Mickey Moniak for a couple of days, and Joe Girardi makes it sound like we're going to go to Mickey Moniak every day out in center for the foreseeable future. Well, then Moniak has six at bats, strikes out in his first five, looks like he can't hit a curveball, and lo and behold, Odubel Herrera is back in the lineup last night. <laughs> right. Now, he, Herrera, he can't pitch three days in a row. Lo and behold, Familia can, and nobody else can. And yes, he's going to play a bulk of the time. So it comes into a situation here where, like, you can't really have it both ways. Like, yeah, you want the, the young kid to play, and like, I understand everybody wants to move on from Odubel Herrera, but the Phillies are right now, their season's on a brink here. You know, like, they've, they've got to go, and they've got to win now. And Odubel Herrera, for, for all of the issues, I mean, the guy was on base three times last night. And so, like, if you have to win now, and we're all in must-win mode here in the beginning of June, you have to play your best players. And right now, Odubel Herrera is one of your best players. All right. So the other day, I guess John Heyman on his podcast said they're going for it. They're going to go for it. They're too talented not to. I guess the question is, how? How what, How can you go for it? You know, the guys, you can't trade Schwarber, Castellanos, Harper, Real Muto, Wheeler. I would imagine those five guys can't be traded, won't be traded. Then what's left over to try to move? It's the same guys you talk about, you know, Nola, Hoskins, Segura. You can't even trade him now. Didi, probably all minimal to moderate value. So if you're saying, well, we're trying to take one of our starting eight to improve this team. Well, I don't really need improvement there. What I need improvement is in one really special. I don't know. how. how if you're saying I'm going for it, what outside the box thing can I do with no young prospects I'm willing to move, and really nobody on my everyday roster that has much worth. Yeah, all right. So, I mean, I think there's a, a couple things here. It goes without saying, you you have to kind of see how the next four to six weeks goes. Now, we all know that the schedule is going to get easier. 
right now, the Angels come to town this weekend. They've struggled lately. They've, they've lost seven of their last 10 games. They got off to a hot start. They're, sti- they're, they're kind of starting to scuffle here a little bit. So you, you have to win this series, right? Then you go out to Milwaukee. That's, that's tough. But then that's when things finally ease up. You get Arizona, you get the Marlins, you get the Nationals. Like, you have to make this run now when you get into the middle of this month. So, like, going for it right now in theory makes sense. But if they continue to fade and fade and fade, they're not going to do anything. So to your question, how do you fix this? There's one thing I'm doing right off the bat. Because you don't have a lot that you can trade for the reasons that you just said, first thing I'm doing is I'm acquiring another number four, number five type starter. I'm going to insert him into the starting rotation. I'm going to take Ranger Suarez, who has struggled with his command this year, and I'm going to back off him. I'm going to put him in the bullpen. We know he can do it. He was successful there last season. He can give you multiple innings. That solves a massive issue and gives you much more depth in the bullpen because he can take down multiple innings at a time. So now I've started to alleviate that issue. I have to go in and try to make some middle road trades to also bolster my bullpen from there so that's how i'm fixing those issues which i actually deem to be the philly's biggest issue right now and then beyond that we i feel like we have this conversation once a week but then i think that the two guys you can look at as trade chips right now in some capacity are both alec boom and reese hoskins now you're not going to trade both of them but i do think that you take calls and listen to what teams are willing to give you for either player whether that's another position player in return a number three number four type starter or maybe a back end of the bullpen piece Yes, I agree with a lot of you. Uh, uh, you're assuming that a guy like Hoskins and or Bohm can get that level of player in return then. I do, I, I, at least in the case of, of Reese Hoskins. I, I, you know, listen, we watch him night in, night out. I think that you just want more out of him. You, you see the streakiness. But at the end of the day, the numbers are there. And I think that he does enough where teams will say like, We'll take a chance on this guy. And considering that he, he's under team control, at least through next year, you don't have to pay him that much. In certain lineups where he doesn't have to be the guy and he could be a complimentary piece, I still think that there's value there, even though he hasn't performed well right now. Mm-hmm. I do think another one of those streaks is coming. So, yeah, I do think that you could get a, a, a return that would net something meaningful to you. So if they were to get theoretically, and I agree with you, like I, I mentioned yesterday, I, I think you just got to move Hoskins just as you kind of said, just to shake it up. Give me a new face, a different yeah. energy, something like this team really, when Kapler got here to now, has been almost identical with the way it's played, the lacklusterness, the bullpen problems, and many of the same faces have been a part of the reason. Hoskins, Segura, JT, Herrera, um, you know, uh, even Harper to some extent. I mean, he got here the last year of Gabe. So adding Harper hasn't done much to the competitiveness of this team. So maybe just somebody in that core, just for the sake of doing it, sometimes is, hey, we, it's just time to, we're getting the same results. We got to change. One of you guys has to change. You're the guy. Yeah, I mean, I've been beating that drum now for a couple of years, and I'm not, it's nothing against any of these guys on a personal level. Like, when you talk about Reese Hoskins, he's one of the nicest guys you'll meet. He's probably, you know, the, the guy that you want to see succeed the most. I mean, he's been here, uh, homegrown product, good dude, but I just think that there's something, there is, there has been now for years, there's something about this core that just together, it doesn't work. Right. And not to even just put it on Hoskins' shoulders squarely, but he's the one guy that I think represents, a, you know, the ability to trade, have some flexibility, and, and actually get something in return. Yeah, I, I agree with that part. So if they were to get um, – so in other words, are they just basically a, a bullpen 
armor to like I brought this up yesterday, Bob. Theoretically, they went out and signed Schwarber, Castellanos, and Knebel. They were their three big guys. Should they maybe said we'll go get Jansen, Knebel, and forget about Castellanos? Yeah, probably. I think that if uh, Dave Dombrowski, and this isn't to let Dave Dombrowski off the hook here, but if Dave Dombrowski knew what his budget was on October 10th of last year and said, I'm going to have X amount of dollars to spend, and there wasn't all the delays and the ambiguity with the CBA talks, and he just had a budget and he was able to get to where they ended up going, I think that his order of operations, his priorities definitely would have changed. I think that they kind of got to the end and they're like, we have a fringe team here. There's no real obvious answer on the pitching side of things. So how can we make our team better? Here's Nick Castellanos. He's been hanging around out there. He's a heck of a hitter. Let's just sign him. That'll make us better. But I think if you would have drawn it out in a perfect world, that's not what they would have done. Well, every and that's the thing. Every move, they're, they're stuck between this like rock and a hard place where because I have JT, because I have Wheeler, and of course because I have Bryce, I all my moves have to be to try to win. So let's just make a guy, let's just sign a guy because he's going to make us better. But we're still not better where we really need to be better. Well, it's interesting. Like one of the things that we've talked about, just talked about it a minute ago, is, is changing the dynamic and the chemistry of the clubhouse. And, and again, big proponent of that. But I will say this. We talk about lack of urgency, lack of resilience, things like that. Just go back over the last week plus here, Tuesday night against the Braves, uh, you know, two weeks ago. They get a late homer. They don't hold on. Uh, over the weekend, they, they get a couple late homers. They don't hold on in New York. Um, this week. They are in extra innings with the Giants. Schwarber hits the home run on Monday. They don't win the game. They're getting big hits. They're getting big hits in big spots that, that would show that energy, that show that resiliency that you, you know, that they are seemingly lacking. The bullpen has been the one that's let them down. I mean, the, the Phillies have had four games in this last 10 game stretch here that they, they should have won the game if they would have just been able to close the door late. Mm-hmm. And I do wonder, like, would we feel a lot differently about the chemistry and the makeup of this team if they just had somebody that could go out there and get three outs when they well, needed it? This, and I agree with you. And, and Schwarber mentioned that. He said, hey, we, we keep fighting back. We're just not winning, which, you know, hey, we're down. We keep fighting back. Um, what, like, what is the difference between this team and, like, Kapler's first team or Kapler's <laughs> second team? I mean, I think that the idea here is that there's just, there's, there, there's a better offense. It's a deeper lineup, number yes. one. And I think the biggest difference, I actually went back and was reading some of the stuff I wrote when they fired Gabe Kapler because, you know, I thought they shouldn't have done that. Uh, so, you know, I was like, what, what was I really saying at the time? And the one big thing that jumps out, if you go back and look at 2019, the Phillies starting pitching in 2019, the year that Gabe Kapler was fired, doesn't even come close to what they have. Right, right no Zach Wheeler. Yeah, I mean, and I know that Aaron Nola was better that season than, than the Aaron Nola that we've seen here recently, but you didn't have Zach Wheeler. Zach Eflin is far better now, and you can make the argument in part because they moved on from Gabe Kapler and Chris Young and the pitching coach at the time. But he's a better pitcher. Ranger Suarez, in theory, is supposed to give you a little bit more stability. They didn't have a guy like Kyle Gibson. I mean, if you go out and you look in 2019 at some of the starting pitching names, you know, the, the depth pieces that they had come in, the numbers, it was terrible. It's actually mystifying that they were able to win as many games as they did with Gabe Kapler. I, oh, I totally agree with that. You know, you know, I was not a Kapler hater either. Yeah. I couldn't believe that they were actually in in wild card races with some of the teams they had. I don't know what the reason, I don't know if he was helping or not. But that being said, wh- where on the Pantheon is Joe Girardi 
input or hand in why this team is kind of just languishing in in the middle of uh, a 22 and 29 mark after 51. Yeah, I mean, you can't objectively look at the job that Joe Girardi has done and say, wow, he's done a good job. Now, I know that there's a belief out there that if you get rid of him, you're really just making a move for the sake of making a move. And a lot of times when you do that, it's because there's an animosity between the players and the manager. And I don't think that exists here. Like, I think that the players like Joe Girardi. And it's not that they don't play for him. But I do think that there's been – you know how sometimes it's like – if you're around baseball, it's like every button you press, it just works sometimes. And then sometimes every button you press, it, it just You know what, work. Bob? I do know what that feels yeah. like. <laughs> well, so do I. So do I. I can, I can tell you that firsthand. <laughs> and I just think that Joe right now is sort of going through one of those stretches where everything he tries to do, uh, it just doesn't work out. Now, that being said, the way that he's managed this bullpen, uh, it does lack urgency. And I wonder if not only does it, it show up in win-loss and the result of individual games, but if it doesn't have a bleed-over effect into what follows. Like, you go back to that Atlanta series and not keeping your foot on the gas. Like, you know guys in the clubhouse are like, what are we doing? You know, we have the lead in this ultra-critical game at the beginning of this this huge road trip, and we're, we're going to Nick Nelson for a second inning. Like, you know players talk about that amongst themselves. So... I just think that, that, you know, Joe probably needs to adopt the mindset of this is our season. And, yeah, you don't want to get guys hurt and you don't want to be reckless, but you you have to start managing now like there's two weeks left in the season and you're fighting for your life because because that's where the Phillies are right now, seven games out or six games out of the third wild card spot. And you can kiss the division goodbye. Yeah. That's gone. It's over. Um, so – Bob Wankel crossing broads with us. He covers the Phillies. He has for a while. Um, in fact, uh, you look back at when you first started, the, the team was supposed to, hey, we're, we're coming out of this horribleness where they were. So I bring us back to that point because Matt Clintech was in charge and now Dave Dombrowski's here. And a lot of people are saying, hey, Dombrowski has some fault here and I'm not ready to go there, even though I'm not a huge fan. I mean, Dabrowski's got a nice resume and everything. I think, you know, whatever. I, I'm, I'm not a huge fan. I don't hate the guy. Whatever. I don't have a lot of blame here because I feel like he's almost like where Maury is with the Sixers in cleaning up the previous mess, much like Maury had to get rid of a lot of bad contracts and, you know, you can't get rid of them all at one time. So I think Dombrowski's, for me, the fault is less because he had such a mess to try to get out from under. And look, the problem is he's racing against that Harper contract, which is getting older every year, and he doesn't have the ability. You fix a bullpen not through free agency and through trade. You do it through drafting and getting young electric arms, and they got none of those guys. So I don't know how they're going to fix his bullpen in the next two, three years to become a competitive enough team if they have to continually fix their bullpen through trying to trade Reese Hoskins or sign Jose Alvarado off the scrap heap. I don't see how they can build a bullpen to be competitive in the next three, four years. I think the jury's out. You said it. Um, there's a lot that he's had to do. He's had to flip this organization upside down at various levels, and some of that takes time before you know if it works or not. At the major league level, he's trying to get this team to the playoffs because the ownership, the team cannot sell. Hey, everyone, be patient. It's been 10 years. So he's doing everything he can, and he's gotten significant financial resources to do it. So 
I, I would say the jury's out. You know, I, I don't put this all on him. I think even the most skeptical, pessimistic person that looked at this roster and understood that it was a terrible defensive team and the bullpen was still a crapshoot, nobody saw this coming. And so let's see how this thing plays out over the next 30, 40 games, right? That's the first part of it. And then I think you really have to see, can the organization start to develop those arms that you're talking about? Can they come up with guys? Do they that, have them? You know, do they have yeah, them, Bob? Do, do you have Mick Abel? Does Mick Abel pan out? Does, does Andrew Painter pan out? Do you start to build some organizational depth where you're not at the mercy of free agency every single offseason? Well, let me, let me ask you this. Mick Abel, Matt Painter, those guys are projected to be starters, though. Like, to build a bullpen, you've got to have these young, electric, powerful arms. Like, if I told you, name me the best closers in baseball, these are all guys you never heard of two years ago, and they just came up throwing 98 with nasty stuff. The Phillies don't have that. That guy doesn't exist in the, anywhere in this organization. The guys you're talking about, they might be number two, three, and maybe they're aces. But where do they fix the bullpen issue if they constantly have to keep going through free agency? And those guys are not in the minors right Like. If you're 22 and 23 and 24 years old right now and you have any stuff, you should be up here pitching. Yeah, no argument there. I mean, you look at their top 30, like go through their prospects, and there really isn't anybody that you say, oh, yeah, he profiles as the type of arm that you're talking about. And I know that like MLB pipeline is an imperfect process, and so I don't want to start citing them. But, I mean, like you look at, at what we're talking about right now, and their, their top two pitching prospects outside of the guys that we just talked about in, in Andrew Painter and Mick Abel, Hans Kraus, you know, who we saw for a minute at the end of last season, I wouldn't say that he is a uh, a future stud at the back end of a bullpen. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. And then Griff McGarry, you know, who's a, a 22-year-old who probably won't be up here for another two or three years. Maybe he's that guy in 2024. So, I mean, that's what you're talking about, right? Yeah, now. that's that to me is the biggest, you know, when we're looking at the big picture here. All right, they got a good offense. They can score. They've got some pitching. They don't have the bullpen arm. They are not developing that kid. You know, the young kid who's just got great stuff. You know, I said, like, bullpen guys are like running backs. They've got great electric stuff for, like, three years, and then, like, their arms go done. They're, they're done. They don't have any of those guys. None. I mean, they haven't – even when they won the damn World Series, they didn't have that guy. They had to go get J.C. Romero and Scott Ayer and, you know, Brad Lidge. They trade like they, they cannot find any young electric – now, in that era, it was different. You didn't have guys throwing 98 with nasty slide pieces. But they have not developed any bullpen arms in 10 years. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, listen, and I will say on the opposite end of things – the Phillies didn't have to hand Yuri Smilia six million dollars this year either, so it's not to absolve. <laughs> but he can pitch on model. three days in a row. Yes, yeah, yeah, he's dependable. You can give him that. So. <laughs> I said after he doesn't cover first, and then the way he tried to catch the ball, and then then run after the ball, and then pick the ball up, and the way he tried that, that right there was cuttable. I just you're done. That's it. Yeah, it was absolutely, uh, absolutely terrible. Oh, uh, and by the way, real quick, just to wrap, like, on that idea about the bullpen, you watched that series against the Braves, um, a couple, couple days ago. And how about, did you see the kid Spencer Strider come in from that for them? A 23 year old yeah. kid from Clemson, just absolutely wipe out nasty. Like, he has 44 strikeouts in 28 and two thirds innings pitch. Like, where is that guy? Yeah. You know, and that was the thing I thought to myself watching that game. Dude, I watch games all the time. And look, I'm 45 years old, so I'm not keeping up with every young kid who's coming up. But I'm thinking to myself, 
There's got to be somebody 22 years old pitching in the damn men's league down here who can throw 95 miles an hour. Just get a young arm and get him out there. I don't need to I – mean, Jose Alvarado throws 102 miles an hour. Great, he can't throw a strike. I mean – You're telling me they need to uh, go put a, a scout out across the street from the BPC and see who <laughs> walks out and – <laughs> just somebody down here, somebody in this area throws that hard and you get somebody out. I, I, I'm confident of it. More so than uh, Andrew Bellotti, Ken. Yeah, I know. I know. And, uh, yeah, that's what you see. Andrew Bellotti actually threw some nice innings for them at, at, once upon a time, you know. But then things catch up, you know. Water finds its level, and that's that's what you're seeing with the guys like James Norwood, Andrew Bellotti, and right. the whole, whole crew there. All right, well. Phillies have the night off. Mike Trout's here tomorrow. Uh, the Angels are in town to see the Phillies. Bryce Harper going to be back? Uh, it's the the way they sold it last night. I'd be a little bit concerned. Is there, a, my point, is there a point where they're 15 games out or something where they – he has to get surgery at some point, right? Well, right now they're saying that that's, that may not be the case. They're hopeful that he'll avoid it. I, I do kind of think that that's where this is trending. The only consideration, right, is – even if you fall 15 games out at the end of July, he's coming off of an MVP season. He's he's replicating those numbers basically at this point. I just wonder if he's like, well, hey, listen, the way I'm swinging the bat, I'm in the middle of this this Hall of Fame resume building season. I'm not coming out. That would probably be the one consideration. But otherwise, if they deem that he needs surgery, the sooner the better if they're going to fall out of this thing. All right. Uh, he's Bob Wankel, Crossing Broad. Check out his Phillies coverage. Uh, Phillies off tonight. They get a win. They get the day off. The way it goes. Yeah, don't let the fills get hot. All right, Bob. Take care, bud. All right, man. Uh, Bob Wankel is uh, covering the fills here on the Sports Pass Live 97.3 ESPN. We'll visit him uh, with him throughout the baseball season as we get into the summer after Memorial Day weekend here on the Sports Bash. Coming up, football for Andrew DeCecco. It's our division previews. They start every Thursday with Andrew, an in-depth look at the AFC East. Also... Talk to Eric Snow tonight, former Sixer point guard, at 5 o'clock right here on the Sports Bash. When we come back, the NBA Finals tonight, some of the keys I'm looking at. The NHL playoffs underway. We'll have the Eastern Conference Finals game two tomorrow night right here on 97.3 ESPN. Now, for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. On 97.3 ESPN. All right, 332 Sports Bash. I'm Mike Gill. I want to tell you about my friends over at Ambient Comfort Heating and Cooling, the professionals, with seven signs that you may need to replace your air conditioner if your AC is actually unusually noisy or you notice an odor. It may be time for a new air conditioning system. If it's blowing warm air, that's a definite sign. You don't want that. Or you have high humidity, you may need to replace your AC unit. If you have poor airflow or your system is cycling on and off too quickly. And finally, although energy costs are rising, if your bills or usage are substantially higher than last year, it makes sense to consider replacing your air conditioning system. But most important, it's your comfort and it's going to be a long, hot summer. If you're experiencing any of those seven signs, why wait? Call Ambient Comfort and ask about state and manufacturer rebates. When comfort matters, choose Ambient Comfort. 
Visit AmbientComfortNJ.com. That's AmbientComfortNJ.com. Call 609-568-0955. 609-568-0955. Tell them Mike Gill sent you yeah, the other night. It was like that night, uh, what day was that? Sunday or Saturday? It was like in the 90s. It was like 96 degrees. Yeah, it was over the weekend. So we had the air conditioner on. Right. Something wasn't right. Uh-oh. I was absolutely freezing cold. I mean, my house was like 62 degrees. Okay. So I got to call my friends at Ambient to uh, take a look if something's wrong with my thermostat. Yeah, that's that's the other side of the problem. If you're cranking too cold, Ooh. something else is wrong. Well, listen, just to give you a little backstory, I don't really sleep with a blanket. I kind of have them like twisted, but, you know, I have them like between my knees and I don't really have like a blanket on like a traditional blanket like most people do. I had three blankets on. It's freezing. That was a big move by you to admit that you do something that most people don't do. What's that? He said that you don't sleep with a blanket like most people do. <laughs> I'm a little uh, outside the box on that one. Gotcha. Everybody else goes blanket. I go no blanket. You know? I like now, to do things my way. Do you have multiple pillows? One pillow? Oh, I'm multiple pillows. I have three pillows. Okay. And two of the three are extra, extra firm. Okay. I go extra, extra firm. Interesting. Yeah, definitely. Like when I go to a hotel okay do you take the pillows with you? i think about it sometimes i get very nervous traveling to a hotel because i'm really worried about a lot of times you go to hotels and they give you those really really flimsy soft pillows yeah that's that's a problem for me actually and that is i i don't like a super super hard pillow but i like it to have some thickness to it and you go to some of these hotels and like you put your head on and you feel like your head's falling through. Yeah, I, I definitely need like a really firm pillow. So I have two. So I kind of sandwich the the firm pillow. Gotcha. I go extra firm, kind of a softy, flimsy guy, okay. and then the extra firm. Gotcha. Interesting. That's the way I kind of position it. And then I have, I mean, not that anybody really cares about my sleeping arrangement here. I have. <laughs> well, you already opened this door. Right. Might as well tell you now, right? I have two weighted blankets. Okay. So I have the two weighted blankets. One is on my right and one... I always have like an airplane runway. Gotcha. And then I have... So you have a whole system. Oh, I have a system, man. So when I go someplace, like if I go to a hotel, it's a rough night for me. Like when I'm on vacation and I'm staying in a hotel, it's a rough sleeping week because I have such a regimen. And it just started recently, too. Like, this isn't, like, something I've been doing my whole life. But all of a sudden, I started, I got the weighted blanket. You know, I really like the weighted blanket. But I don't even use the weighted blanket. Like, you're supposed to use the weighted blanket. It's supposed to take, like, stress away and, like, you know, help you sleep a little bit better. I don't even right. use the weighted blanket for anything other than it's weighted so it doesn't push down. So it has something that my legs can kind of, that's the biggest thing, is having, like, something kind of between my legs. But you do use ambient comfort. If my air conditioning has an issue, yes, I do. There you go. And I have to make a call to them because the other day, I don't want that to happen all summer. Now, I haven't had to add the air conditioner on since that day. Right, but but. got to make that call to ambient and uh, say, hey, is it is it my thermostat? Is something going on here? Because uh, that was abnormally cold. I was very cold the other night. Uh, Eric Snow tonight at 5. Um. Cole says, you'll go to the hotel, and they got dollar store pillows. 
that now has support, that has no support at all. Yeah, so it depends on the hotel, really. I mean, yeah. you go to some hotels, they give you the, the flimsy, really, like my girlfriend sleeps with a pillow that's got nothing. It's like, you might as well sleep on right on the mattress. Right. She likes nothing in the pillow. I like that extra, extra firm. Yeah, I, I need I need the support from my pillow for my head. Yeah, definitely like that. By the uh, way, with the NBA Finals, I got a trivia question for you. Oh, yeah. Let's uh, see what this trivia is. You told me about this before the show, but you didn't give me the question. Well, I so didn't want to give, it, I wanna give you well, one Well, because I wouldn't, I, I, you don't want me to cheat like you would. Come on. Don't don't put me <laughs> and somebody else in that same category. I mean, we both don't want We know that. you're cheating when I ask you these questions. No, I'm not cheating. I'm not like some other people who have been on this show with you. Okay, what do you got? So By the way, uh, yeah. Um, real quick, uh, Rick Brunson, the coach at Camden, is leaving. He's going to the Knicks. He's going to be an assistant coach uh, for Tom Thibodeau, who he has worked with in Minnesota and in Chicago. Right. So it's not like some random, like they're grabbing a high school coach right. and making him the assistant coach for the Knicks. He has coached in the NBA. Of course, he played in the NBA right. and played at Temple. So uh, Camden High, who won Group 2 last year, they need a new boys basketball coach, if you know anybody. Uh, I'll leave that to you. I'm just saying. <laughs> you know more of those people than I do. So, Steve Kerr tonight will become the fifth man in NBA history to reach at least 11 NBA finals as a player and a coach. So, 11 or more times reaching the NBA finals as a player and coach. Can you name the other four? Okay, read this again. So Steve Kerr is the fifth man mm -hmm. to reach at least 11 NBA Finals as a player and coach. Okay. So it's, it's a duality. Yes. Not just one or the other. At least 11? At least 11. All right. So Bill Russell. That's one. After that, man, as a player and a coach, 11 times in the finals? Combined. Combined? Yeah. 11. I mean, that means you had to have reached the finals uh, as a player. If you, I mean, the only guys really you're talking about, Phil Jackson. He's on the list. He reached it both as a player and a coach. I know that, but how many times did he make it as a player? As a player, New York Knicks, twice. I was going to say, I know he played with the Knicks, but he made it there twice? Mm, okay, that's news to me. Um, the one year he didn't play, but he counts on the roster. So Okay, that's... But as a coach, he was with the Bulls for six. And the Lakers for six. Actually, seven. You, you gotta and he reached the, the finals six times. So he right. didn't even need to be a player. Right. Gotcha. All right. Yeah, he got there by himself as a coach 11 times. You know what? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So Phil Jackson's easy. Uh, Pat Riley. Pat Riley as a player and a coach, okay, correct. Okay, so that would be three of the five? Yes. Well, you have, you have three of the four. You need one more. Steve Kerr. Is oh, Bill Russell. Man. So you said Bill Russell, Phil Jackson, Pat Riley. So you got three. You need one more. One more. Uh, coach and player in the NBA Finals. They didn't have to win it. They just had to reach it. They have to get there. This guy did win, though. Jerry West would not qualify. He was Well, he was the coach of the Lakers. But he didn't coach them. No, he to didn't the coach finals. to the Finals. Um, it's got to be a Celtic, right? That's the, uh, yep. Uh, that's the hint. I'll give you that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm out, man. I'm blanking. You want me to give it to you? Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 running out of time here. Casey Jones. 
Oh, I would not have. I mean, I, 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 when you say it, I got it, but I probably wouldn't have come up with that. Yeah, he was the coach of the yeah. Celtics in the 80s, and he played for the Celtics in the 60s. No, you're right. No, no of course you're right. I mean, good question. I thought it was interesting. You know, I, when they brought it up on the Hoop Collective podcast this morning, I was thinking, you know, I'm, I'm starting to go back through my head like, wow, Steve Kerr has really spent a huge portion of his life getting to the NBA Finals. Mm-hmm. Well, Phil Jackson seemingly made it every single year he was a coach. Right. <laughs> and the funny thing is, so Steve Kerr, for those who don't remember the full story, remember he won championships with the Bulls. He won rings with the Spurs. Yeah. And then out the Warriors as a coach. Good question. On the eve of the NBA Finals, I got some NBA Finals thoughts. Uh, Eric Snow is going to join me. Uh, Eric, of course, used to be the color analyst for Sixers TV. He got to an NBA Finals. He did get to an NBA Finals with the Sixers in 2001. He is now uh, host of the uh, Sixers podcast on Believe. Talks a little NBA tonight. Keith Smith, uh, who's, of course, followed the Celtics for a while. And, of course, he covers the league nationally. We'll get his perspective tonight at 5.30. More Sports Bash on the way. It's 97.3 ESPN. Now, back to more Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. On 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. All right, 348 Sports Bash Live. Game one of the NBA Finals tonight. You can hear it right here on 97.3 ESPN. Yes, finally, the NBA Finals here. I'm looking forward to this one. We got Warriors, Celtics, great defensive team in the Celtics. Great offensive team, historically great player in Steph Curry. Uh, Steph Curry on the uh, Warriors. So, JR, Wager Pro, WagerPro.com, the Wager Pro app. We've got so many people out there who have been waiting for this game, and I'm sure you have a way for them to make some money on it. We really do. I mean, first off, no one could be more excited about this matchup than me. I think that Boston really showed resilience throughout the playoffs. I mean, talk about a team that just really came together at the right time. You know, no one really picked Boston to go all the way, not only at the beginning of the season, but at the beginning of the playoffs. So to have them where they are right now, I think, is just an accomplishment in itself. And this team plays just phenomenal defense. The question is, are they going to be able to outplay a team that not only knows how to win and win championships, but knows how to score a lot of points? This is going to be what's going to win the championship. Is the better offense or the great defense going to win this championship? So I love the game tonight. I'm giving this one out free. It's on the recorded message. Anyone that wants to call, I will give you this point spread winner free by just simply listening to a 30-second message. Call this number, guys. 800-499-3733. That's 800-499-3733 for the point spread winner of tonight's game. NBA championship, game one, Celtics against the Warriors. Big matchup, like I just told you. Guys, my my personal opinion on this game, I got to tell you, my predicted outcome is about three and a half points, if not four points different from what they actually have this number at. So either I'm going to tell you that Celtics have a shot at winning this game outright or 
Golden State's going to win this game by 8 to 10. So call the number now. It's free. It's on recording at 800-499-3733. Plus, we've been killing it in baseball. Right. Well, tell us a little bit more about baseball because uh, that's the point of the season that we're at where, uh, you know, we got baseball, you got hockey, but is baseball the way that you can make your money this summer? No question about it. Every year, you know, what people don't understand about about baseball and betting on baseball. It's the one game where before we had legalized sports betting all over the country, remember back in the days when you had to play with a local bookie, Uncle Vinny down at the pizza parlor, right? When it came to baseball season, a lot of them, and I mean more than half of the local bookies, would not take action on baseball. And that's because most of the guys that are betting baseball are not the guys that we call donators or, you know, just losing constantly. Baseball is a much easier sport to be able to win at, but especially for the knowledgeable sports better who's been doing it long enough with experience, you know how to find tremendous value in baseball and exploit it and be able to take advantage of the books. And that's why a lot of the local books didn't take it. Now, of course, you've got a lot more people betting these days that don't know much about sports betting, and therefore books have no problem taking action on baseball, especially because they give so many options between the parlays and different ways to bet baseball that it winds up being an absolute home run for them. Because if you go look at it, look at how lines back. If we go back 15 years ago, you were able to find what was called even a nickel or mostly a dime line in baseball, a difference in juice from normally you'd have a favorite at, let's say, minus 135, and the dog would be plus 125. Well, these days, especially in the legal sports books, all you see is 20-cent lines. That gap is a tremendous amount of hurt to the player on losses and not enough of making money on the win. So the way we actually can turn this around is by putting teams together, getting better odds, putting two-leg and three-leg parlays together in baseball. Like tonight, you've got some great games on the board. In fact, I'm going to give you a free pick real quick before we run out of time. San Diego is at Milwaukee, guys. San Diego obviously been playing great, great baseball. Milwaukee also. But when you're at home and, you know, let's face it, they should have been the favorite, but the public is betting on the Padres, especially in a game lefty against righty. I'm going to go with what I think not only is the better team, but home field advantage. Get on the Milwaukee Brewers. That's the free pick tonight. All right. Uh, JRWagerPro.com, the Wager Pro app. You got the free pick there. Milwaukee, but don't forget, we've got game one of the NBA Finals right here on 97.3 ESPN, and you have that one as well. I do, guys. Call the number now. I'm going to give you the spread, the point spread winner of this matchup absolutely free. Again, it's on a recording that's 30 seconds long. Call now, 800-499-3733. No one's put more, believe me when I tell you, seriously, I've done it myself. No one has put more work into making sure that we feel that we are absolutely on the right side of this game than what we do down at Wager Pro. So call the number. Take advantage of our knowledge and our experience. Let me give you the winner of this matchup. Again, free. Call 800-499-3733 to get that winner on the recorded message. And as always, be safe, have a great week, and more than anything, guys, go out there and make some money. All right, JRWagerPro.com and the Wager Pro app. Thank you for that. He likes Milwaukee baseball tonight. Uh, there you go. You got that one, a free winner. He's been hot on those. And, by the way, as he mentioned, those NBA Finals, they begin tonight here on 97.3 ESPN. Real quick on those NBA Finals. We'll get into them in the 5 o'clock hour. Eric Snow, former Sixers, going to join me. Keith Smith, who covers the league, he'll join me as well. The one thing about these NBA Finals that I'm really excited about is, hey, listen, 
you have a chance to see either this Warriors team win a third different championship with like the pre-Durant team, the Kevin Durant team, and now this third incarnation, which has Andrew Wiggins, um, Jordan Poole, Kevin Looney. You've got a whole bunch of different guys from the last time they won, which is different from the first time they won. So you're getting a chance. You know, it's not often in this era, in this day and age, that we get to see, whether you like the greatness or not, it's not often you get to see, like, the Tiger Woods of the world, they're gone. The Michael Jordans of the world, they're gone. I mean, even LeBron, as great as he was, he didn't have consistent dominance, right? He was a great player, but I'm talking about team dominance. I care more about the team dominance. That's what we talked about this back in the first hour, is what makes your – it gives you the vision of the teams, it kind of builds what you think in your mind of a team. And if the Warriors win this championship, man, this will be a special run that all of us got to kind of live through. Pretty cool. And on the flip side, it will suck bad if the Celtics win the championship. Oh, man, it will. But that's what sports is all about. Sports Pass Live, 97.3 ESPN. I'm Mike Gill. Philly's off tonight. Flyers coaching news. Get the latest on our website, 97.3 ESPN.com. Who's going to be the Flyers' head coach? Where's the coaching search? Kevin Durso has all the latest at 97.3 ESPN.com. Brian Deporek will talk a little Sixers tonight and NBA, NBA Finals. That's on game night at 6.20 here on 97.3 ESPN. Football at 4. A look at the AFC East is next. 97.3 ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for Football at Four with 97.3 ESPN.com's Andrew DeCecco. My first allegiance is what will be best for the Philadelphia Eagles and our fans for the next three, four, five years. Powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios. It's football at four. And football at four is powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. We will begin our division previews every Thursday with Andrew DeCecco. We will take a deep dive into the four teams in each division. That'll take us right up to training camp. Looking forward to it. We did a great job, or I should say Andrew did a great job with these last years. A lot of depth on all these rosters and teams and all the changes that have been made over the year, uh, over the offseason here. And you'll get a little look inside the AFC East today with Andrew DeCecco, InsideTheBirds.com, as we take a look at the AFC East on our division previews, which start today here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. What's going on, Andrew? Hey, man, how you doing? All is good. Looking forward to, uh, you know, the offseason is kind of hitting that slow part, but when we hit this point, when we start to get a look inside the divisions, that means we're getting closer to the start of training camp. So we'll start with the AFC East. So let's start at the top with a lot of people's favorite, the Buffalo Bills, 11-6 and last year, first in the AFC East. And you're seeing a lot of people picking this team to maybe be the favorite to win the Super Bowl this year. So let's start with that. The AFC East, are they home to the best team in football? It's early, but I would have to say so. I mean, I thought last year they were 
you know, among the elite, and now I think that they've added some pieces that puts them in that conversation. Obviously, there's stability there uh, with Sean McDermott, Leslie Frazier, the good defensive coordinator, Ken Dorsey's there as the OC, Josh Allen, I believe, is going to have an MVP caliber season. So the pieces are there. Obviously, the defense as well is is very steady and and one of the best in football, so I do think that they're going to be in that conversation this season. All right, let's start. be able to get over the hump. Let's start on that offensive side of the ball. Josh Allen, a lot of people's favorite to be the MVP, and just kind of talk about the evolution of Allen and uh, what kind of weapon he is. And, you know, We were talking about he was in the match last night. I mean, he's reached another status, it almost feels like, uh, but where do you see Allen now as a quarterback? Well, he's a, he's a dual-threat guy who I think is really taking the next step as far as a passer. He's built that rapport with Stephon Diggs. You had Gabriel Davis, the wide receiver who's emerging. Uh, Jamison Crowder is there as well as the slot receiver. He has the weapons that he's making the most out of those, uh, making the best use out of those weapons. Uh, obviously, he's a dual-threat to run with the football as well. I, I think his decision-making's improved a bunch, and he, if he's able to stay healthy, he has the pieces around him that would indicate an MVP caliber season. also have to mention this tight end, Austin Knox, as well, who I think you know, if he, he's someone who's battled injuries. He's a very physical player, much uh, sort of plays the game very similar to Dallas Goddard. I think that he's another X factor as far as what they're going to be able to do this season offensively. Right. Well, then they got uh, Diggs, as you mentioned. After him, you know, Crowder they brought in. You know, the weaponry that Allen has, you think this is, you know, again – I think they were the second-best offense or the third-best offense in the AFC. Is Allen primed to have a big year with these weapons? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't see why not. There's the continuity there, and I think he continues to take the next step and evolve as a passer. And Stephon Diggs, to me, is still one of the top route runners in football. Really, really a mismatch against any corner that he's going to face. And you start to see their just innate chemistry develop and it's going to even mature even that much more so even this year. So I don't see why not. Um, and the offensive line, of course, is, uh, is is pretty formidable in, in its own right. Yeah, and then, of course, uh, Sean McDermott. who's a de- And let's start, let me ask you about that, too. McDermott's a defensive guy. Brian Dayball left. Uh, any concern that this offense takes a step back with a new play caller? Not really. I know they really think highly of Ken Dorsey. Of course, Ken Dorsey was a former quarterback at the University of Miami, so I, I think that he's going to have that instantaneous rapport with, with Josh Allen and be able to tap into his natural, uh, be able to tap into his skill set and, and get the most out of him there. And the, the, the pieces there are, are, it'd be different if you're getting a lot of outside help via free agency or the draft. There's a lot of continuity in, in place already, and I think Josh Allen's really taking command of that offense. And matured as a leader, and, and just uh, I think that the offense obviously runs through him. So I wouldn't be so concerned just because there's going to be a new play caller in-house. Okay, uh, now you have a defensive-minded coach. Defensively, this is where this team is pretty impressive. They added Bob Miller uh, in the offseason. Uh, this is a team that can really get after the quarterback. Uh, they got Jordan Poyer has turned into a former Eagle draft pick, by the way, seventh round. He's turned into one of the better safeties in the league. This defense has talent all over the field. Yeah, Tredavious White's one of my favorite corners in football. I think he's a, a very complete player, uh, a shutdown type of guy, and there's only a handful of those that you can actually put that stamp on as being one of those guys that you can put out there on an island, and they're going to shut down any receiver. So he's one of them. Uh, you mentioned Hyde and Porter being one of the better safety tandems in football, a couple of veteran players there. 
very astute football IQs and, and patrolling that middle of the defense there. Von Miller, Ed Oliver, Russo. So the, the, there's a lot of guys there to like, and I think that they're that they've helped to bolster their pass rush, which is what I felt was really a deterrent for them late in the season and set and was what held them back going against guys like you know Mahomes and, and players like of, of that mold. I thought they really needed to upgrade their pass rush to be more timely in those big games. Uh, Andrew Checo, Football at Four, our division previews start each Thursday. We'll take a look at a diff- different division today. We start with the AFC East, home to the Buffalo Bills. They're the champions. Second place last year with the New England Patriots, and they won 10 games last year. So uh, you've got a new play caller there as well for Mac Jones and that offense. So what do you see from Jones in year number two? It's going to be tough for Mac Jones because I don't know that they have a ton of reliable weaponry around him. I should say a lot of firepower that you're going to be able to win games with, especially in that division. I mean, Devontae Parker, of course, they've added, but he's a streaky player. He struggled to stay healthy, but if he's able to stay healthy, he moves the needle a little bit. It gives them more of a reliable presence there opposite Kendrick Bourne. And and Jacoby Myers is really a a volume-based slot receiver for them, um, they don't really have uh, you know a ton of. They have Hunter Henry's Hunter, Hunter Henry's there as the tight end, and the running game. I think they've added what was it, Chase? Uh, no, Damian Harris. That's who it is. Damian Harris is there. So I think the offense is really going to have to run through Damian Harris because the offense is the offensive weapons at the skill skill position is uh, is pretty subpar in my opinion. Now they went out and got Devontae Parker. Um, Hunter Henry is the tight end. They went out and got him last year. Uh, you you kind of talked about it, you know, whether or not there is enough weapons here. I was surprised to see they were the fourth highest scoring offense in the AFC last year. And, and you're right, like you look around, but how much does Devontae Parker, uh, does he add uh, that next level of receiver that can take this offense even further? Uh, not much. Uh, I mean, Devontae Parker is a solid player. I think right now he's a better number two option for a team and someone that you're not going to uh, – I don't know that – like right now he's, he's sort of miscast as a top receiver for this offense, and I don't know that he's that guy, especially at this stage of his career. Uh, lengthy injury history, and when he has been – when he's on top of his game, I think he's a high-end number two and, and not necessarily a, a bona fide top, uh, one that they really need and that Mac Jones is going to need to help him take the next step in his progression. Uh, when we think of the Patriots many times through the Belichick era, it's been Brady and then that defense. When you start to look at that defense, is there a standout guy? Is this a defense you have questions about? Well, when I look at their defense, there's a guy that really intrigued me is Christian Barrymore, the defensive tackle they took in the second round of the 2021 draft. Uh, Matthew Judon's a, a, an interesting player as a weak side linebacker. And uh, Jonathan Jones is a player that they really like as a nickel corner. Um, he's a player that I, I think is, is being viewed, is viewed as one of the better slot corners in football. He's been around for at least five, six years now. So um, uh, Devin McCourty's been there forever. They, they have a, they have a, some veteran players and, and competent players that they can rely on. But uh, I, I would look more so for uh, to see what they're going to get out of Christian Barrymore from, uh, from the defensive tackle spot. Which, as, as we know, with the Eagles selected Jordan Davis, you, you get a guy in the middle that can make things happen, and that, that completely transforms the entire defense and opens, they open, opens things up for whatever, everyone else uh, to make some plays. Andrew Checo, football for ASC East. Let's look at Miami. They won nine games last year, so Buffalo 11, New England 10, Miami 9, Tua 
And obviously Tyree Kill, Jaden Waddle. They drafted last year. They brought back Mike Gazicki, the tight end. Um, this offense is going to be pretty interesting. We're seeing uh, Raheem Mostert they brought in, Chase Edmonds as well. Uh, so this offense, what do you think? Well, it's going to be interesting because they have a lot of speed at, at, on the outside. <laughs> but do they have the quarterback that can, with the arm, to get it to them, right? I mean... I think that Tyreek Hill is a great tip for any offense. However, the name of his game is speed. So unless you're going to get him the ball in space and things like that, I don't know that Tua is going to be someone that's going to be able to hit Tyreek Hill consistently in stride down the field and maximize his skill set. Same thing with with Jalen Waddle. I think they're going to be a little bit underserved with Tua as the quarterback. However, they can be they can be best they can be best served with, with two skill set is getting them in space kind of like what we thought the Eagles were going to be doing with Jalen Rager. Um, but that said, in order for Tyreek Hill to be fully utilized at the best of his ability, he's going to have to be that vertical threat that you saw uh, with, with, with the Chiefs. But I mean, it, <laughs> they don't have uh, anything close to what Patrick Mahomes is from as far as an uh, arm talent. No, it'll be interesting to see. Waddle and Hill and how they're used in that offense and if Tua can take his game to another level. That offense should be very interesting to watch. Then you go over to the defensive side of the ball and again, similar, you're you're looking at all right. uh, this is a team that defensively I think has been good, a little disappointing the last couple of years, but uh, do they have enough on that side of the ball uh, to kind of separate themselves from, you know, they did not make the playoffs last year, uh, but do they have a good enough defense to get themselves back to the playoffs? I think the defense is going to be uh, middling. I think they're going to be serviceable and, and enough to sort of guide and hold up their end of the bargain, but I don't think that they move the needle uh, very much. I, I like Jerome Baker, their linebacker. They had Jalen Phillips. Remember, he was their first-round pick in 2021. I, I'm interested to see what he's able to do in year two. Um, Tyron Jones is still there. So, um, Oh, and then Javon Holland, the safety that I – was very high on in the draft last year as well. Uh, really, I do it all safety, throwing that middle of the field there for them. So um, they have some individual pieces that I really like, but collectively, I don't think that their defense is really much. To, there's really much to write home about there. Uh, Dolphins nine and eight last year, third place AFC East. We're taking a look at the AFC East. Let's go to the Jets four and thirteen. Uh, they have been a dumpster fire for quite some time, but a lot of high draft picks. People starting to finally feel good about this team. Let's start with Zach Wilson. Where are you on the second-year quarterback? Not, not very high. Not very high on Zach Wilson. I, I, I saw. I mean, don't, an electrifying college player, but not someone that I saw was pro-ready. I thought he could have used another year at BYU. I, I think last season you saw him really uh, struggle from a processing standpoint and not seeing the whole field and taking some chances and, and fitting the ball in where he probably making throws that he had no business making and um, again he, he was another as young quarterback we talked about Mac Jones he was a quarterback that didn't really have a ton of, of reliable weapons to facilitate the ball to but that, that's going to change this year and we'll see what he's able to do you know Garrett Wilson you have Corey Davis is there uh, Elijah Moore is a player that I'm very high on this year as a second-year breakout player. You saw he started to really turn it on the second half of last season. Uh, so the, the, the players are, are there, and, um, and and I think C.J. Uzama is going to be a player that can be a good security blanket for them, the former tight end of the Cincinnati Bengals that they added. 
So, I mean, the, the, he has the, the players there. I, I just need to see more from Zach Wilson as far as uh, just being able to, to maximize his ability, see the field, process things, and be more consistent with his accuracy. Uh, and see it all come together this year. And one of the things, Andrew, this team, I guess, has drafted on the offensive line, too. So uh, do they have a better offensive line to help him out? Yeah, Beck is there. They have uh, Barrett Tucker, the, the, the guard. Uh, Max Mitchell is there. Uh, he's a fourth-round pick uh, from tackle. So um, they have some then they have some veterans like a Connor McGovern there. They have, they have some guys that I, I think are going to be able to solidify that. That's always been their problem yes. as far as being able to protect the quarterback, keep them upright, and being able to have let plays develop downfield. They haven't had a, a stabilizing line going back to even when I covered the Jets and they had Kelvin Beecham. Uh, and, and Brandon Shell and, and a lot of turnstile type of players that just weren't equipped to handle the rush. So I think now they sort of rectified that issue. You're right about that. And by the way, they went out and got Nate Herbig, too, the former Eagle. See if he fits in there. Uh, defensively for the Jets, I mean, they've uh, put a lot of draft capital into their defense. It hasn't really worked out for them all that much uh, with some of these guys. But are they starting to get some return? Do we think this Jets defense will finally uh, start to be uh, a factor for them? I do. And, you know, but like anything, I, I always – I always tell people it might not be instantaneous, right? It's like a bunch of different ingredients that are coming together to make a, to make a recipe. So it might take time. I mean, you have a guy in Sauce Gardner, you have Tremaine Johnson, you have Quentin Williams, and we're still. I was really high on him coming out of Alabama, and you, I would love to have seen more for him. And so, but he's still a very young player. There are cornerstone type of players on this defense. And I have full confidence in Robert Sala to be able to mold these guys and help them sort of expedite their uh, their uh, transition to the pro level. So, I mean, they have a shutdown corner. You have a bona fide pass rusher. Like, they've added building blocks on every level. So I'm really intrigued by what they're able to – by what they could potentially be able to do this season. You're right about that. You know, uh, very interested to see how Gardner fits in in that defense. New York 4-13 and last year. All right. Buffalo, New England, Miami, the Jets, Andrew DeCicco. How do you see the AFC East this year? Well, the Buffalo Bills to me are the class of the, uh, of the AFC East. And I think I'm looking at I, I can never I can never downplay what Bill Belichick has done. No matter what, he always seems to be in the running. So I'm going to have, go ahead and put the Patriots at two. Dolphins are going to be at three. I, yes, they've added a ton of firepower, but with two at quarterback, I don't know how many. Eventually, you're going to have to you're going to be asked to win games. And I don't know if he's ready to do that. Win games with his arm, that is. So um, they're going to be three, and then fourth is still going to be the Jets. Again, quarterback. There's a lot of questions there surrounding the quarterback. So. Um, we're going to have to see how that goes. I, I think defensively they're going to take a big step forward. But uh, as far as the offense, I think that, that might you're going to see a lot of streaky weeks, in my opinion, particularly from, uh, from Zach Wilson. So Andrew's got the same AFC East standings as last year. You don't even have to watch the season. Bills, Patriots, Dolphins, Jets. There you go. A look at the AFC East. We'll count down the divisions uh, on these Thursdays with Andrew. That'll take us right to training camp when the Eagles get underway. By the way, they open up against the Jets on August the 12th in a game you can hear right here on 97.3 ESPN. Andrew, I look forward to it, man. Thanks, bud. You got it, man. Talk soon. Yeah, man. Andrew DeCecco back with our division previews on Thursdays during football at 4 right here 
on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. Yeah, man, think about that. These division previews. Look, one's already in the books, which means we're that much closer to the start of the season, right? Oh, boy. Next week, we will do the uh, AFC North. We'll take a look at those four teams. Andrew likes the Bills, Patriots, Dolphins, Jets. I kind of am going to go, I think I'm going to go Bills, Dolphins, Patriots, Jets. I think that Dolphins offense is going to be pretty good. I like what he said. I, I agree with a couple of things that he brought up. I think he's right. That offense has got a lot of scary weapons. And I think their defense, he said it. He, he The word that he used was kind of like, they'll just kind of keep them in there. All right. When we come back, we've got today's headlines on a Sports Bash uh, Thursday. NBA Finals tonight. Uh, Rangers win 6-2 last night. You can hear that game 2 tomorrow night here on 97.3 ESPN. What else we got? Uh, Phillies won last night. Also, uh, no Mike Breen tonight. He is out. There's more announcers out than players. Breen and Van Gundy are out tonight on the broadcast. Mark Jones and Mark Jackson are in. So Mark Jones will call the NBA Finals game 1 tonight with Mark Jackson. It's Mark Jones' first uh, television appearance. I think he's done some radio finals calls. So, Got to have Mike Green, though. I like Mark Jones. He's not Mike Green, though. Bang! How was that? I'll give it a uh, 7.8. 7.8. More Sports Bash coming up. Now, back. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. With Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. All right, time to turn for today's headlines, 426. I'm Mike Gill. But before we get there, gather around. It's time for the Caesars Sportsbook Report. Haven't started with Caesars yet? Well, guess what? First bet is risk-free up to $1,100. Download the app and use the promo code radio CZR. My promo code is radio CZR. And then place your $100 Download the app and use the promo code Radio CZR. Place the first bet. If you win, good for you. But if not, you'll get that money right back as a free bet. Must be 21 and physically present in New Jersey. New users only. Your bet amount of qualifying wager returned only if the wager is settled as a loss. Paid as a single bet credit. Must be used within 14 days. See Caesars.com slash promos for full terms. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER in New York. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369. Caesars Sportsbook. Download it, people. All right, Josh Henning is my producer. What do we know? Well, what we do know is there is a lead contender for the next owner or owner, shall I say, of the Portland Trailblazers, there has been a $2 billion plus bid put in by Nike founder Phil Knight and Dodgers part owner Alan Smolinski. Now, the Paul Allen Trust, because Mr. Allen is no longer with us, 
The Trust has been looking to sell the Blazers because apparently the family only wants to keep the Seahawks in Seattle. They want to keep all their investments in the Seattle area because they also own the soccer team. So the Blazers have been put on the market. They want to sell somebody who will keep the team, though, in Portland. There's been a lot of speculation that a new owner could come in to the Blazers and move them somewhere else. Well, Knight, as people know, is an Oregon guy, and he would keep them there. And apparently Mr. Alan Smolinski has been trying to get in on the NBA ownership situation for a while. The idea is that... Knight would be kind of like the face of the team, and Smolinski would be kind of the extra money for the team. So he put an offer to buy the Blazers, not the Seahawks. Right. Well, the Paul Allen family owns both. Right. So Phil Knight is, and 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 um, Nike is in Portland. Is in Oregon. Right. They're in Oregon. They're the big uh, boosters for the uh, University of Oregon team now. For reference purposes, the Timberwolves just recently sold for $1.6 billion. Yeah. So the tra- Trailblazers are being valued at more than $2 billion. And the idea is, even though Knight would not be the majority owner, he'd be the ownership face of the, he'd be the ownership manager. Because Smolinski is the guy who's putting up the most money, it looks like. Well, I mean, the Blazers, that would be a nice shot in the arm for them. Here's the thing. Phil Knight is 84 years old. So it's not like he's going to be around for that long. So it seems like that there's some speculation that part of the reason why they have made some of the additions they've made recently is that Knight would kind of uh, work with Smolinski to become eventually the face of the organization. Because those don't remember, they've kept the general manager, Joe Cronin, and they want to keep Chauncey Billups long term because they want to create stability in other parts of the organization as there's an ownership change. Don't forget, also, they are hiring ESPN's Mike Schmitz. Yeah, I did see that. High level position in the front office. I did see that. All right, well, Nike going to get into because uh, they're big into Oregon. Yeah. Now, there's people wondering what does this mean for Dame Lillard's future? Because the Allen family has been very vocal in saying that they didn't want to shake the apple cart, shall we call it, because they didn't want to create instability in an organization that has been successful without needing to shake it up. Well, good for Portland. They need new ownership life out there. They they do need something. It's one of those franchises that, uh, you know, that's all they have, you know. Salt Lake City, Portland, no other professional sports team out there. Yeah, again, the Paul Allen Trust is the one that's handling this. The Allen family wants to keep their sports ownership to Seattle only. They want to get rid of everything that's outside of Seattle. How far? I don't know how far. I'm not going to ask how far because I don't want you to look it up. It's far enough. It's but the the port, people who live in Portland, Seattle's their football team. Right. I'm wondering how far that is. I don't know off the top of my head. I'm assuming it's a few hours. Maybe it's like a, like a hour and a half. Three-hour drive. Three-hour drive. Okay. I mean, so you're not just going up for a 1 o'clock game. Yeah. But maybe you can get a flight and maybe make a weekend of it. Yeah. Mike, there are not one, not two, but three NFL players who have all announced their retirements today. Ryan Fitzpatrick, who you mentioned earlier, is leaving the NFL after last being seen shirtless 
at a Buffalo Bills playoff game. He will be joining the Amazon team. Frank Gore today is signing a one-day contract with the 49ers to retire with them. And on top of all of this, uh, the other guy who is retiring, and of course, I just lost my spot. You think I remember off the top of my head, but I don't, so give me a second to find it. But uh, there are there are three NFL players who are all retiring today. Well, since I've heard of none of them, other than Fitzpatrick. You've never heard of Frank Gore? No, I'm saying I didn't hear that he's retiring. Oh, yeah, he's signing a one-day deal with the 49ers. I mean, he hasn't played in three seasons. Oh, here's the one. Alex Mack, the center, center is okay. returning. I did hear that his uh, future was kind of up in the air. He's returning? He's retired. Oh, retiring. Yeah, so Alex Mack, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Frank Gore are all making retirement announcements today. How about it? Your thoughts on those three players retire? I remember Frank Gore as an eagle. <laughs> For about 10 minutes. Um, Alex Mack was a very good player. Ryan Fitzpatrick started for nine teams. Alex Mack was a seven-time pro bowler. Yeah. I did not know it was seven times. Yeah, he was very good. Um, Cleveland and uh, the Jets. Uh, he was Cleveland Falcons. Not the Jets. The Jets and, had uh, uh, He had played last bit for 49 for the Jets. Yeah, Mangold played with the Jets. Yeah. Yeah, Mac was Browns, Falcons, 49ers. Yeah, no, he was really good. But Fitzpatrick was one of those guys. I mean, he started for nine different teams. He's one of those, like, Gardner Minshews. Like, you don't want him starting all the time, but he could be a serviceable guy for a little while. For a little while. Does him being on the Amazon broadcast interest you at all? Mm, not really. I never looked at him as a guy like I have to. I mean, I know he did the the shirtless thing, and he has the beard, and he came out the one time with the clad. I mean, he's a little quirky, but he's not one of them guys. Right now, he might change that I have to be like, hey, I want to see what he has to say about tonight's game. Quite frankly, there's not very many things about that at all other than inside the NBA, you know, where you want to see Charles, you want to see what that group has to say. I mean, there's not very many pre- or post-game shows that you're like, I have to be a part of. I mean, I know everyone has their favorites on Sunday mornings for the NFL, but I don't feel like any one particular one of those teams are like, stop stop what you're doing and go watch them, whereas the inside NBA guys that you said are. Yeah, well, uh, speaking of uh, broadcast, Jeff Van Gundy and Woj and Mike Breen are all out tonight. It'll be Mark Jones and Mark Jackson. Now, those two typically do games together. Yeah, Mark Jones, Mark Jackson did a few games this postseason, and I never got the full explanation for why, but there was a point in the playoffs where Mike Breen and Doris Burke were doing games in the Eastern Conference playoffs, and Mark Jones and Mark Jackson were doing games in the West Coast, Western Conference. So, well, And that's the thing. is like Breen was like a game-time decision yeah, tonight, and then I guess they decided, all right, he's not going to make it. Well, I'm like I told you earlier. I'm like I'm still surprised that Van Gundy and Jackson were on the game on Sunday because Jeff Van Gundy sounded like he sounded lousy. He sounded like he was sick then. So it's like, well, if you're not feeling well, we we have players missing games to non-COVID illnesses. What's Van Gundy doing out there? And you were telling me, Mike, that apparently the reports that Mark Jackson was doing a coughing fest 
before the game in even the started. pregame. If you remember the pregame open, he was kind of coughing away through that thing. How many times do you see a guy coughing away during the pregame? You know, open not anymore. The- not in today's world of COVID and all those concerns. So it makes you wonder. No offense to these guys, but maybe should have those guys been set aside for game seven. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't know who. Yeah, the- well, if you could definitely hear Van Gundy did not sound. He healthy. sounded poor. Yeah, he definitely sounded sick. But yeah. you know, there have been times that that's the whole thing is now in this COVID whole thing is if you felt like you were kind of sick or whatever in the past, but I feel okay, you would be able to work and no one would question you. You just say, hey, he's probably a little under the weather. But now, I mean, he might feel like he could physically work. Right, but because of it, it's COVID, he, he's not allowed. We're still not to that point yet. Yeah, where for God's sakes, like you, you could have the flu before and be like, you know what? I physically feel like I could still try to push through it. They didn't say, well, you have the flu, you're not allowed to play. Yeah, I mean, and that's where the world is really like the the, the Jordan flu game might never have happened in today's world. Yeah, for example, that's the thing. Is at what point are we going to get to? When the guy says, hey, I, I don't feel great, but I think I could still work, and that's okay. I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't have an answer either. I, I just, just a little a little um, head scratching. Uh, if I can get, bring you an NHL playoff story. I'm here for it. Darcy Kempler will not play game two. He's being ruled out with an upper body injury. Now, when you were watching the game one, between the Avs and the Oilers, there was this very strange situation where Kempler was late to come out of the tunnel due to what they were calling an equipment issue. Well, then halfway through the second period, Kempler was still adjusting his equipment and then he left game one. Are we sure it was that? Well, what they're saying is, the speculation is that whatever the equipment issue was with Kempler, he tried to play through it and that's why he got hurt. (laughs) Which... I would love to know what this piece of equipment was that got him jacked up. Bladed himself with the bottom of his skate. <laughs> well, it's upper body injury. <laughs> well, in the NHL, you never know. They could say it's upper body. It could actually be lower body. Well, that's true, too. Now, his backup, Pavel Francus, he came in and he promptly allowed three goals to the Oilers because when Kempler left the game, the Avs had a 7-3 lead. Well, the Az went on the win eight to six. So, Mike, I think it's fair to say more scoring tonight in the NHL. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I think that series, regardless of who's in goal, you're getting a lot of scoring. I mean, you just have two high flying scoring teams over there. Yeah, well, the, when they took Mike Smith out of the game, his backup Koskinen only allowed two goals. So. I don't know what that's going to mean, but it'll be interesting to see, does Mike Smith have a short leash? (laughs) All right, well, guess what? Bet the under. (laughs) I say bet the over. No, I I think that series is an (laughs) over bet. I'm saying, last night, what did I tell you? Phillies are going to win. After all the crazy changes, you you had mentioned that you bet the over in one game and the Phillies game and hit on that. So I said, yeah, well, the Phillies are going to win tonight. Yeah, a couple days ago, (laughs) I bet... The Phillies over and the Avs Oilers over. There you go. <laughs> hey, you got to get it where you can, right? Yeah. I mean, these these hockey playoffs. Now, last night you had eight goals scored. 
Yeah, well, a lot of people were shocked by that because Vasilevsky has had multiple shutouts this postseason run, and he got lit up. Well, Vasilevsky's last night. probably the best guy to go, and he's probably the best goalie in the league. Yeah, there's a lot of people who were chanting last night. You know, Shesterkin's better. They were chanting in at Madison Square Garden last night. You know, the, kinda, the, the crowd was into that game last night. The crowd. Was Jay wild. Williams this morning on KJM said. It was the first NFL hockey game he's ever been to. He actually messed up. He said NFL. By <laughs> but he said it was the first hockey game he had ever been to. And be- after he's gone to that game now, he says, we need to talk more hockey. We need to start doing more hockey. We need to start going to hockey more. <laughs> what was Keyshaw's response to that? They were all kind of like, uh, you know. Like, uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Well, good for Jay. Good for Jay to get out of his comfort zone and go do something else. You know, go experience another side of the sports world. You know, look, ho- hockey is a, a sport that doesn't have near the popularity as football or basketball at this point in time. But, it, you know, playoff hockey, there's nothing like it. And it's an incredible thing to watch and listen to here on 97.3 ESPN. Um, all right. John Forslund was on the call last night. Oh, yeah. I, I watched. I was flipping last night. I had the Ranger game, uh, Phillies game. Um, Phillies were up 2 nothing. I switched. I came back, and they were down 5-2. I went back to the hockey. I came back to watch the Phillies. I saw uh, Maton hit the homer, and then Schwarber hit the homer. Yeah. So I got the good parts of that game. And uh, what else did I watch last night? Hmm. You watched any more of the Blacklist last night? Started it, but uh, my girlfriend fell asleep very early into it. So that was not, uh, I mean, we, not we, the cards no, we, we were starting. I was like, all right, we'll watch an episode or two. And I turned around and she was out like a light. And you were like, all right, I guess we're not watching so I said, episode. I guess I'm going back to the Phillies now. <laughs> well, the Phillies were, you know, this was like 7.30. My God, 8 o'clock. I told you, I woke up at 4.45 yesterday for whatever reason. Don't know. Well, did you get more sleep last night? Yeah, I slept all right. I woke up too early today. I don't like waking up before like seven, but you know, people laugh at that. But it's like I don't work till two o'clock in the afternoon. Right. Well, that—that's the part I think people, you know, if your work schedule is a seven to three, eight to five, nine to six kind of schedule, yeah, waking up early is you know part of who you are. But if you're someone like us who the the meat of our day doesn't start until later in the morning, and then your show doesn't start until two o'clock. Not to mention, for the four hours I'm on, I'm exerting somewhat energy. Well, you're also doing multiple things over there. You know, you're writing articles. No, for the those aren't. It's not like a tire. It's just it, it, try to, to talk for four hours. At the end of when you're ta- done talking for four hours, it's a little draining. And well, then you're also not trying to bore people to death either. No, I mean I have. I'm talking with a lot higher amount of energy than I yeah. typically would during the towards of a conversation with somebody. You don't have half this energy when we talk off nah, the air. I'm pretty laid back. Um, I have a lot more stories. I think the... Uh, I, I was really kind of thrown off by that first story there, I got to admit. Uh, the Portland... The Blazers? Blazers story. Yeah, I was trying to... I thought there was like something coming that I was like waiting for that was like going to be like throw me off the, the mat there and it was more... No, just uh, Phil Knight's going to try to buy the Blazers. Well, he's, the, he's considered the leader in the clubhouse. Yes. That, well, that and... Now, who's buying the Broncos? I know Josh Harris is in on that. Uh, it's Josh Harris. Well, that Harris. one's interesting because there's like four groups. There's like four people. It's, there's four different groups. Magic Johnson's a part for. of that group? 
Magic Johnson's part of one group. Um, there's another minority owner of the Dodgers who's involved in trying to buy that too. Mm-hmm. So uh, supposedly the Broncos sale is supposed to be done before training camp. I don't know what the status of that is because, like you said, there's four bidders on that thing. So we got to wait and see exactly how that whole thing plays out. All right. All right. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. Eric Snow will join me to talk a little NBA Finals and the Sixers coming up tonight at 5 o'clock. Now, back to the sports. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. ESPN. At 4.50 on this Thursday, Sports Bass 97.3 ESPN. Brought to you by the Atlantic City Airport. Plan your summer vacation now. Spirit Airlines offers nonstop flights from Atlantic City International Airport to Boston, Atlanta, San Juan, Miami, and other exciting destinations. Visit spirit.com. We often talk about going on like a football road trip. College football, NFL. Got to go to a uh, Phillies road game. Got to try that, too. That's something that uh, everybody out there should think about. Is there a particular destination that you like or prefer? Well, or if you haven't been to Wrigley Field, you definitely check that out. Like, you get to go to a game in Chicago, and then if you can line it up right, if the Phillies happen to be there when the White Sox are in town, too. Okay. You try to do that. I mean, the Phillies are probably in Chicago, I would imagine, sometime this summer. You can get out there and check them out this summer at some point. Get out there and do that. Um, I would do this. I don't know when they're going to get rid of Camden Yards, but keep in mind that ballpark is like 30 years old now. It's crazy. Don't to say take that. for granted that you're only two and a half hours from Camden Yards, but I don't think the Phillies play down there this year. I might be wrong about that. Um, if you can get to PNC Park in Pittsburgh, that's definitely a ballpark worth checking out. I would like to do San Diego, San Francisco. Uh, I have not done either. I have done Dodger Stadium. Not all. I get it. It's classic. It's, you know, it's one of the historic stadiums uh, that are still remaining. But, eh. Did, I didn't, if I never saw it after seeing it, I wouldn't be like, my God, I missed out on that one. Fenway missed out on if you didn't go to. I went for the first time last year. It was pretty tremendous. You definitely want to go to Wrigley Field. That was really awesome. Pittsburgh. Uh, PNC Park is really nice. Um, other than that, I mean, I, I haven't been to I haven't been to San Diego, San Francisco. I've been to Anaheim to the Angels. Nothing special there. Um, Not Dodgers. to disappoint you, by the way, but the Cubs game, Phillies at Cubs, will be September 27, 28, oh, 29. So it's uh, deeper into the season. Yeah. All last right. week of uh, September. Oh, oh, I'm glad you said that. So September 28, 29. Yeah, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So that would be the Eagles would play Jacksonville that week on Sunday, the September 2nd? Uh, October 2nd, correct? Yeah. 
Yes. So that's the week. You're saying they play in the middle of the week. They yeah, don't play Tuesday, on the weekend. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Right. And in then, Chicago. Yeah. So you would uh, week four of the NFL season. Maybe put in some vacation time for that. Well, that's before. Um, they do not play at Baltimore this year, by the way. The Orioles? They don't play at the Orioles. No, year. but they do have uh, the Padres coming up here in a couple of weeks. They play there June 22nd, 23rd. Uh, no, June 23rd, 24th, 25th, 26th. So you have a four-game set yep. in San Diego you can check. It. You know, I've been to Milwaukee, pretty cool stadium. Not one that I would be like, you have to get to. Um, Arizona, I haven't been to. You maybe want to go out with a group and do the pool thing. I haven't been to the new Marlins place. I was at the old Marlins place. You know, Washington's worth the drive. It's a pretty cool little stadium. I mean, nothing like great, great, but I think it's a little underrated. Next time they're down in Miami is... Uh the weekend of July 15, 16, 17. I'm just thinking about this the other day. Like, you know what I haven't done in a while? Gone to a Phillies road game. Now they're back in Miami for the 13th, 14th, and 15th of September. They do have a weekend trip in Pittsburgh. Now, the problem is who the hell wants to go to Pittsburgh in the middle of the summer? They're playing in Pittsburgh July 28th, 29th, 30, and right. 31. They got a four-game set in Pittsburgh. Uh, you got the Mets on the road in August, and that's the only August road game they have. Every other weekend, they are home, which is not really conducive, I guess, because you got a lot of people that come down the shore. Yeah. So Philly's home games all month of August. Now, they got road trips in September. The first week of September, they're at the Giants, so there's a good opportunity for you to get to San Francisco, and that's before the football season starts. So you can bang, go out to San Francisco, see a Philly series, three games set against the Giants, and then get back for the first week of the NFL season. That's a pretty good, good idea. It's a pretty good deal. Worked out pretty good. They got the Braves on the road in September, and then everything else is at home. So if you're thinking about a Phillies road, I, I just was thinking about that the other day. Actually, they play the Nationals on the road the first week of October. They've got uh, October 1st. They have a double header. You can go Washington, get a little day night double dip. Yeah, not that far of a drive either. So no, Washington, you know, less than three hours, about three hours. Now, is that a situation where maybe you would say you want to get an overnight hotel and go, or do you want to get a day trip? Uh, you can drive down there Saturday in the morning, go to the early game, and then do the double double disco. Okay. Saturday, and then you come back that that September October second. The Eagles play uh, one o'clock. They actually play the Commanders in Washington on September 25th, the week before. How about that? The Phillies are in, uh, in Atlanta, uh, playing Atlanta at home that week. I thought maybe you'd get one of those things where you play like the National. All right, when we come back, we'll look at the NBA Finals and some Sixer stuff. Former Sixer broadcaster Eric Snow, he's now with Believe. Joins me next here on the Sports Pass Live on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Uh, 501 Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. The NBA Finals start tonight. Warriors, Celtics, listen to the game on 97.3 ESPN. Five things to watch. We've got it right now. Breaking down this matchup. Former Sixer Eric Snow from Believe, host of Believe in the 76ers, at Eric20Snow. 
We'll talk a little Sixers. We'll get his thoughts on these NBA playoffs and finals and what's next for the Sixers and all that good stuff. It should be a fun conversation with former Sixer Eric Snow from Believe, and he joins me right now on the Sports Bash Live 97.3 ESPN. Eric, what's going on, man? How you been? I'm doing terrific. How are you all doing? We're doing good. It's good to hear from you, man. It's been uh, an interesting playoff series where we've got the Warriors and Celtics. Now, I'm getting interested to get your thoughts on the Celtics because they had a lot of problems and there were people down on them. And then right around January, all these metrics and analytics actually started to side with them to the point that they became a lot of people's favorites. So uh, are you surprised that the Celtics got here or were you kind of shifting with people uh, that they were the favorite in the East? No, I, um, I, I, I'm not surprised once, you know, Chris Middleton went down. I'm not surprised. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I had Milwaukee and I still believe if Chris Middleton play, they win that series. Right. So yeah, you like Milwaukee. Um, if, if Milwaukee's at full health, you like them. Yeah, I would like, I like Milwaukee, but I did tell my son, I, I told my son a, a few months ago that I felt that Boston was the only team in the East, even as much as I love the Sixers, I felt that Boston was the only team in the East that could beat the Bucks. Mm-hmm. So it it, I, it was something about them that I felt that, you know, they were defending and and playing well. And they looked like a good team. Like as a team, they were playing well. Well, you got two teams. Now, if I say to you Warriors and Celtics, I mean, do you think defense first for both teams? Um, you know, because Golden State's pretty good defensive team. I don't think people think of them yeah, as that. I, I, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't necessarily think of both of them as like, I wouldn't think, oh, defense, but I would think that they aren't, um, you know, they're, they're good defensive teams. That's what I, I think the Golden State has been historically in the last, you know, eight or so years so good offensively that yeah. people kind of overlook how effective they've been on the defensive end. Um, and they've been very solid. I mean, they, you know, they had Draymond who leads the charge, but collectively, um, they've done a good job. Mike Brown and Steve, and they, they've done a good job on, um, you know, defending teams. And, and I think more than anything, it's making the adjustments that they've made because they don't kind of do the same thing to every team. All right. So I guess one of the matchups that, uh, most people are going to be looking into is Marcus Smart. And Steph Curry. I mean, this one seems like it's going to be a juicy one for the the length of this series. How do you see uh, who wins that matchup? Smart versus Curry. I mean, well, you know, when you really think about it, you know, um, you know, the, the old saying goes: "Great offense always beats great defense." So, you know, Marcus Smart can play a, a, a perfect defensive game and still never stop Steph Curry. <laughs> um, but I, I think it's going to come down to. I believe Marcus is going to make it tough and he's going to do his job. But the one thing I think um, gets overlooked is that the team has to be well-equipped and well-versed in what the game plan is. Marcus can do a heck of a job in chasing him and front, <clears throat> excuse me, getting in front of Steph and forcing him to the left or forcing him to the right or whatever the game plan says. But if that weakest link on the team isn't ready, you're, you're as strong as that weakest link. So everybody, when he comes off that screen, what is the guy that's guarding the screener going? When he's going left or right off a screen or left or right off a pick and roll, are you playing them different? Can you make the adjustments? <clears throat> are people aware of where he is and what he's what he's doing? So as much as it is Marcus Smart, 
is really making sure the team is locked in, too. So if that team is locked in yeah. and they're making those adjustments and then Emei's able to make an adjustment if something is working, then that, that increases their opportunity. Well, even a guy like Steph can have a great, great day. Yeah. But he could have 30, but it could take him 25 shots <laughs> to get it. And, 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 you know, Eric Snow's with us. You, you could speak highly to this. I mean, you were on a very, very good um, defensive team. I mean, you had really five very good defensive players uh, that all kind of were like the sum of each other's parts. You had, you know, Matumbo back there or Ratliff before that if somebody got beat, you knew you had somebody back there for you. You also had yeah. gritty guys on the wings and uh, a tough guy with, with Tyrone. And, and, you know, so you know what it's like to have a very good team defense. And that's Seems like what it's like when you watch the Celtics, except for the fact they don't have that elite rim protector, but you really don't need that guy unless you're playing this team, right? Well, I, I think, you know, you <clears throat> a great shot blocker against Golden State, uh, it, it matters, but it really doesn't because they're they're so good in the in-between shot. Uh, people look at them all at the, as the three-point shot, but though all of those guys that shoot threes – all make mid-range and, and, and the middle shot. So that can kind of not really eliminate a shot blocker, but kind of decrease his value a little bit. Um, I think with Boston, to me, the the best thing that they have going for them is they have a Grant Williams or Al Horford that can defend a Draymond Green and not have to play 15 feet off of him because they worry about him driving around them. Uh, Eric, I think being able to stay in front of him and and take away passing lanes to a certain degree, or you know, make those passes harder, I think helps. Yeah. Oh, you no, know, you're right about that. It's a great point. Eric Snow's with us uh, from Believe. Uh, Believe in the Seventy Sixers uh, is the podcast. Uh, we'll get some thoughts on the Sixers team from him coming up. But uh, I, this matchup, you know, you got Tatum. What does Golden State do with Tatum? Who's a tremendous uh, has really. I mean, as you're a Sixer fan, this has got to be painful watching what Tatum has evolved into, knowing the whole story of what happened on that draft night. But uh, how do you see Golden State? What do they throw at him? Well, I mean, you have – I mean, I think it's really interesting. I'll be interested to see what Mike and Steve come up with because you have Clay and you have who's, – who's historically been a solid defender. But I think with his – that's the one part of his injury I think he's kind of – um, recover slowly, slower from his, you know, being able his defensive um, presence. But are they going to put um, Wiggins on on Tatum or Clay? So if you put Wiggins on, that means Clay is going to be on um, Jalen Brown, who's just as aggressive. <laughs> Maybe not as skilled, but he's just as aggressive. Um, so it's 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 going to be interesting because he, he I thought Wiggins did a great job on on Luca, but this is a different different kind of guy because he's he's not really just an ISO guy out top all the time. Yeah. Um and he can catch and shoot and play it and do it in different kind of ways. So it's gonna be interesting. I oh. think that, you know, it's 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 some good matchups. But I think as much as Wiggins has to defend, but I think it's you know, who are those guys that are are the other guys gonna make a Tatum or Brown or Clay or Curry are the other teams going to make them defend as well? Well, that's the big thing, Eric, is is how is Boston's offense going to go after? I would imagine they're going to have, uh, you know, a bullseye on his back on trying to single him out, make him work on defense. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, everyone assumed because we, we've seen the way the Mavericks kind of 
uh, made certain guys defend when they played the Suns. Yep. And when they got to Golden State, like they they had a a good plan that they didn't have to do that. They weren't able to go at Poole. They weren't able to go at Curry with a bigger Luka. And that came down to, in in my opinion, that Boston, um, I mean, not Boston, the the Mavericks didn't really shoot the ball well. So it kind of took away... Um, the you know the decisions that Golden State had to make, they never really had to make adjustments because the plan kind of worked. Yeah. Now Boston, they, they come in and guys kind of, you know, make those shots and and play like that. Now you, you you're in a situation where you got to make a decision. So it's going to be interesting. I think it's it's it's, it's going to be a game by game, and it's going to be adjustment. Um, not only adjustment adjustments in game um, per game, but adjustments in game as well. Yeah, and that brings us to Kerr versus Odoka, who's coaching in the finals for the first time. Kerr, this is the 11th final he's been in between as a player and in a coach. So clear experience advantage in that. Do you think that is a factor, uh, the two coaches in this series? I mean, I think it's a factor from from a standpoint of maybe um, not just not necessarily from Ime because Ime's been around that a uh, basketball and that, and that game and those guys yeah. well enough, even though he's in the first seat now, I just think collectively that is so much more inexperience on the Celtics that if it affected them, it would be because from a collective standpoint, um, I think that, you know, as much experience as Steve Kerr's has, I mean, he, he, he can make a mistake as well, you know, as far yeah. as making decisions. But well, I, 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 I that, find, um, I find Eric, one of the more interesting thing is, you know, the Warriors have this, you know, you got Draymond who gets in your head and, and they're experienced. And the Celtics have a gritty team. They're similar. Like Marcus Smart's a gritty guy. I mean, yeah. Al Horford, you know, he's a, a very crafty guy. I'm wondering how the Warriors, because they, they do get by on that a lot in the West. They played some younger teams. This is a younger Celtics team, but not necessarily a team that buckles under mm-hmm. that kind of intimidation or pressure. Yeah, I, I don't I don't see that happening because I think from the Celtics standpoint, the guys that Draymond is um, usually going to be playing against, I don't think that's going to impact Grant Williams and Al Horford whatsoever. Right. I really don't think that that's going to impact them. Um, Tatum and Brown are like their best two players, but you don't really look at the Celtics and say like that's their 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 attitude or their identity is because of those two guys. You still kind of see the identity and everything else from other people. And and so just like the Golden State, you know, is really Draymond Green. I, I kind of see, you know, a Marcus Smart, Grant Williams and Al Horford, those guys are the guys that are sort of who who's going to kind of set the presence. Yeah. And then Tatum and Brown are, you know, obviously that those talented players is going to deliver. Well, they're they're um they're, they've arrived at a very early age, Tatum and Brown. I mean, yeah, the, the, Brown feels like he's been in the league forever, but he's still a young guy. And they got the right mix of veterans. It'll be interesting to see if this Celtics team uh, arrives and kicks in the door the first time they're there. Do you like Boston or do you think Golden State's uh, veteran? Do they have one more championship run left in them? Well, I have to stick with my pick. Everyone around me is, is, has, um, picked the Warriors and 
I went against them and picked Boston in six. As much as that pains me to do it, <laughs> I'm going to stick with that pick. Um, but it's going to be an uphill battle. I mean, the the presence and experience of Golden State um, definitely is not going to make it easy. All right, so Boston in six is your pick. That's an Eastern Conference team. Let's get to take us to your former team, the Sixers, and how far off or close are they? Uh, is the window closing on this Embiid run? Can they keep adding to it? Where do you see where this franchise is after losing in the second round uh, for the fourth time in five years? Well, I mean, I think that there are – I think we're close. Um, you know, obviously some adjustments need to be be made, but I'm one that feels the the urgency um, should be immediate. I mean, I I I, I see Joel's um, window of opportunity and smaller. I'm sure smaller than most people. I see it that way. So I, I think that the moves and the thing that we need to make um, needs to be made. You know, needs to be more. You know, say more, like I said, more urgent in addressing it right now, like a win, when truly win now mode. Um, however, the, how are they going, you know, Daryl and Elden are going to do it, but I believe that has to be the, the focus. So it beats what, 28 years old. Uh, he's got multiple injuries. He just had another one. Uh, how long can he play at this? And how many more MVP level years, uh, championship level years? Do you see from a guy with his size and his injury history? I mean, I think the way the game is going, I mean, he can have multiple, you know, years um, playing at this level. Um, I, I just think, you know, as far as, you know, usually I would give it, you know, two to three years, two to four years um, at this level. And, and to me, that level, him playing at that level is basically your window for winning the uh, championship. Yeah. Cause you're going to need him in order to make that happen. So I would, you know, I would be surprised if, if that level, if you just look at most guys in their history in this league, um, you know, that's when sort of the decline kind of stops, um, you know, starts rather, unless you're LeBron James, so the, and, you know, the pressure's on for, forever. The pressure's on for, for Daryl Morey. Eric Snow is my guest uh, from Believe, uh, Believe in the 76ers podcast. Um, so they got a, I don't know if they have a decision with Harden. He might make the decision for them, but is it an envious situation that they're in with this Harden? Or do you like, hey, you're getting James Harden back. What's everybody worried about? Or do you think this is a really a defining moment for them? I mean, I like what James has done for the team. I just, I mean, other people um, has been, you know, maybe disappointed with it. I just think that, um, you know, give them a full year mm-hmm. um, with the team and, and see where it goes. Yes, you know, James has his moments where we we want to, you know, we want to look and we want to say, hey, okay, take over. But I think for the most part, you look at his numbers, you look at what he's done, it was more than sufficient. But, you know, you just need to see a full year. You need to see the full commitment for the season. And you need to kind of make an adjustment um, as far as, you know, who else, who's going to be reserves players, who's going to be our um four and five and in the reserve players and and, and address the shooting. So we, it's some other issues that we need to address. And I didn't think James should be as high on that list unless you're talking about, you know, um, how many years, how many more years he's going to sign for that. That could be a concern for people more so to me than the salary. Yeah. And I guess they're, you know, this team is kind of hamstrung, uh, you know, uh, handcuffed with what they can do. If you roll back uh, a similar team, 
I guess you, you know, as you just kind of chronicled, I, I tend to agree with you, Eric. Is you probably got two or three more solid years from Embiid at this level before you start to see a decline. And with where they are uh, with the cap, it's going to be hard for them to really improve. <laughs> Big time around them, and and how much more do they need to improve to get to where the Celtics are? It seems like they're pretty far off from them. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, I don't think they're that far off from the Celtics. I, mean, I think you know the people, you know, we we ended up we finished the season with the <clears throat> excuse me same record as the Celtics and the Bucks. Mm-hmm. It's just you know we were we were rolling and playing well, and Joel gets injured in the playoffs, and then it just kind of like goes down. So I just think that it's yeah. fragile from the standpoint that a lot of things have to be going our way. Um, you know, Celtics have played without guys and they've been effective. And, and we seem to, when guys are out, we have a, a bigger drop off, I must say. Yeah, oh, definitely. The, the, yeah. uh, well, it's funny because, um, you know, you played for a team uh, that really, you know, you had your starting group of guys and then Aaron came off the bench and, you know, you had a couple of pieces here. But it feels like these teams rely way more on depth and their benches than teams used to for whatever reason. Yeah, I mean, I think to a certain, I think, you know, for the most part they do. But when you look at it towards the end of games, I think most teams are only playing about seven Eight nine guys, um, but I think what 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 I think they've kind of leaned on a little more is you could you know you, you used to be able to just know like okay this is team this is starting but this is who's going to end the game. Mm-hmm. Whereas now it's kind of like it it's not it's not consistent on who's ending games. Yeah, you may have those main players, but it may be a different. Of two or three guys beside those main players each game, right? So I think that's where it's kind of different. Where we knew when I when I played with the Sixers, you know, Aaron McKee was a six man, but he was going to be in there in the end. And we were we were it was you know Allen, myself, and Aaron and the Kimbe and either George Lynch or Tyrone Hill, right? That's usually how we ended every game. Whereas now you you can play, you can see Steph Curry and Clay and Draymond. And who knows who the other two are going to be? Right. Yeah. And you know, oddly enough, um, you, you know, you, you look at that style that you guys won with a very defensive-minded style. Um, you know, you, you wonder. Uh, we always ask these questions about where the game is now with all the three pointers and everything. Um, how the teams, you know, you guys were in the finals that year. How a yeah. team like that would would have played in, in today's game? It, it's just such a yeah. different style, man. I mean, I don't, I don't know if it's better. Yeah, or I mean, worse. if well, I don't, I don't. The way I see it is, if if the the rules were the way they are now, then I don't know. I don't think we would have had that same type of team. Right. So it. Everything has. Well, if to, you did, you wouldn't be very you, good. You, you, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> so you have to. I mean, we at, they changed the rules after we went to the finals, and we've seen yeah. the change, the difference. So, you, you, your team was built to win, but it was also built to win based on the structure and the systems the and the rules that were in place. Yeah. And so then that's why I don't really get into comparing, you know, ages and times and players and all that stuff because it's, it's all different. Like you, it, everything that. Our things, all things aren't, aren't and weren't equal, so there's no way to sit up and compare them. Yeah. 
Uh, good conversation with Eric Snow, former Sixer, believe in the 76ers. Uh, we'll see if we believe in them this offseason. They do have that draft pick uh, that they now have, number 23 overall. I wonder if they can use that as a chip to try to do something. We'll have our eyes on Daryl Morey. He likes the Celtics in six. And uh, he says, Embiid. And I'm probably the only one. (laughs) Uh, We shall see. Well, Eric Snow, we hope to catch up with you again soon, man. It was a good conversation. Likewise. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Eric Snow, former Sixer. Eric 20 Snow. Follow him on Twitter. Good to catch up with him. Uh, He is the host of Believe in the 76ers on Believe Podcast, uh, or Believe. And um, you can listen to that podcast during the season with Eric Snow. Of course, um, the former broadcaster for the 76ers. Um, the thing he says about Embiid, though, I, I don't think he's wrong. Embiid's 28. He said he has about two to three more years. He says the urgency is now. And I think that's a pretty powerful comment, right? I think it's a pretty powerful comment that the urgency is now. And I say powerful, like, of course it's now. I mean, but the follow-up is because he says the window for Embiid is closing. And... I think he's probably right that you're probably going to get about, he said two to three years. I would probably be, go more to three to five, but semantics. Like, Embiid's going to start not being Joel Embiid that we know at some point, and it might be soon. I mean, the guy's seven foot two, 280 pounds. At what point is his body just not going to allow him to be this player night in and night out? We already see it. He can't do it for a full year. So I like what Eric's comment was there. I definitely think, you know, his comment is like, I, and he said, I like what James Harden has done. Like, he doesn't have a problem with James. He said, give him the year. And I'm okay with giving Harden. Now, I'm not saying get rid of Harden. I just And, and then he did follow it up and, and qualified it by saying, now how many years are you giving him? That's really the question. And I think that's where Maury is in a very tough situation is how many years am I going to have to bring him back on a deal to get him to come back here? And I think that's where Maury really has to try to win this battle with convincing Harden to stay at the price that helps the Sixers. Which gets back to, we don't really know what Harden wants because unlike most players, Harden doesn't have an agent. And because he doesn't have an agent, he doesn't have anybody leaking information to the media about some of these things. So a lot of a lot of what people talk about with James Harden is either conjecture or based on what other people say about him. We Harden doesn't do a lot of putting information out there about himself. He's a he's a guy who kind of just is off doing his own thing. Yeah, and I think Harden will Here's a here's a question that I guess that runs through my mind. We talk about is Harden hurt is he not 100%? He had games where he played really good. Yes. So was he hurt in those games? He may – well, it, let me let me spin it back to you. Was Jimmy Butler injured the entire series with the Celtics? It, it's a very good question. He scored, what, 13 points a game in the first two uh, games so, of the series? So in games three through five, I think he had a – Combined for like 20-some points, something like that, basically. But game six and seven, he had 47 and 35, or 37. Dude, he was, 
uh, Greeny said he should have won the MVP of the series even in a losing effort. Yeah, don't tell Tim McMahon that he'll rip Greeny to shreds. Well, and I don't agree with Greeny either, considering that Butler was basically non-existent in the first couple games of the series through maybe no fault of his own. But guess what? Like many people said with Embiid, if you're out there playing, then I got to be critical of your play. And that's what gets back to Harden, which is, well, Jimmy Butler was injured with this knee issue he's been dealing with for months now, by the way. It wasn't just a recent thing with Jimmy. Like Harden, he's been dealing with this injury thing for months. Jimmy has two games where he plays horrible. Jimmy has three games he plays like he's a top. 10 player in the league, and one of the game where he plays about what his league average is. Harden gave you one game in that series mm-hmm. where he played the level you knew he could, and a bunch of other games where he was a turnover machine. Yeah, I, I think that Harden needs an offseason to just kind of get back at it. He wanted to play here. He wanted to be here. Right. He needed to basically get the offseason to now Hey, I didn't play very well. I own that. Let me get back. And then we're going to find out. The question is, though, the problem is, and the question is, at what salary and at how many years? <laughs> that's the problem. That's the big That's the big question because at the end of the day, you know, James Harden is not, no, no matter what version comes back next year, he's never going to be the Houston Harden again because, one, no one's ever going to run that offense again. That mm-hmm. That offense was a very unique situation. Number two, let's be realistic. He's getting older. He doesn't have all the tools he used to have. So the combination of those two things puts you in a situation where you say, I can't pay you like you're the best guy at the position. So how do I work around that? I don't know. That's that's a a big, big question to ask. And the one thing on the Sixer side is this, Mike. The guy who's making the deal is Daryl Morey. Yeah. If anybody could talk to this guy, it's Daryl. Uh, Sports Best Live. Keith Smith covers the league nationally for SpotTrack.com, covers the NBA, has for a long time, covers the Celtics for Celtics Blog, part of SB Nation. He joins me next to break down this NBA Finals. Eric Snow likes the Celtics in six. See what Keith thinks. I'll give you my pick for the series coming up as well here on the Sports Bash. Now, back to the For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. ESPN. 5.33, Sports Bash, NBA Finals Game 1 tonight. I'm looking forward to this series. Um, We haven't had a game since Sunday. We had nothing on Monday. And uh, we got a good matchup. You got... This young Celtics team, which, you know, quite frankly, they were left for dead for a while. Keith Smith will tell us about that. He's very close to this team. And what changed about them? Keith, SpotTrack.com, he's done a lot of work. Celtics blog. Of course, you know them very well. Covering the NBA Finals tonight is Keith Smith with us here on 97.3 ESPN. And Keith, kind of tell us... 
when did this all change? There was a time, I'm sure, people were questioning Udoku, split up Brown and Tatum. What happened with this team that they're playing in game one of the NBA Finals tonight? Yeah, the, the win is really right on New Year's Eve. They played a game without a few of their guys, uh, as everybody was playing at that point. But they were taking on the Phoenix Suns, and they they really uh, beat the Suns pretty good in an afternoon game on New Year's Eve. And then from that moment forward, when the calendar flipped into 2022, they had a couple more weird losses. But by the time we hit about the second week, third week of January, these guys took off, and, and they, they did not look back. They finished on a 26-6 and six close. A couple of those losses were games where they threw them away because they were just prioritizing health. But what they say is we got healthy. But what it really was, I think, was a lot of the buy-in finally happened, the full understanding of, all right, this is what Coach wants offensively and defensively. Ime Udoka cut his rotation down. He basically said, I'm going with these guys a few weeks after that. Brad Stevens traded away some guys and, and really left him with, all right, these are going to be your eight, nine guys. That's it. And they've been rolling since then. Um, they have been rolling. But defensively, they've been really rolling. Why are the Celtics such a good defensive team? They don't put any bad defenders in their top eight to nine man rotation. And, and it's, um, you know, the closest thing that they have is Peyton Pritchard. But he's really just small. He's not a bad defender. He's just small. He's only about six feet one or so. So what happens with him is you want to keep him in matchups where he's on ball, and he's really tough on on opposing ball handlers and really does a good job holding his own there. But what ends up happening is when you play the Milwaukee's and the uh, Brooklyn's and the Miami's of the world, they play isolation, they force the switch, and then they attack him. Golden State doesn't really play that way. They, they play more of a motion, ball movement type offense versus a uh, targeting type offense. So he should be okay. But other than him, the other eight, eight guys, seven guys that they play regularly are all you know anywhere from good to really good to elite defensive players, and they're all very versatile. They'll switch everything. They'll play big. They'll play small. They can kind of match whatever it is you want to do, and that's made them very special on that end of the floor. Um, how special, special enough to shut down this Warriors offense? How do you see the matchups that Boston will throw at the Warriors? Yeah, I don't know about shutting them down because I don't think anybody shuts down uh, the Warriors. But I think what um, ultimately is you just got to make them work. You got to, you know, go. But the, what you really have to do, you have to stay focused for the full 24 seconds of the shot clock. Because we've seen with this team really since they've kind of come to the height of their powers. And it hasn't changed here as they're back in the finals again is you can play great defense for 15, even 20 seconds of the shot clock. But you let it. You you turn your head the wrong way. You let up for one second, and they back cut you for a layup, or somebody pops open for a three pointer. What the Celtics are going to do? They're going to be very physical. They're going to change up their looks. They're going to switch some. They're going to hedge some. They might even trap some. That's not something they do a lot. But when they've done it, they've done it to some success. But it's really going to be all about trying to keep the Warriors guessing, keep them off balance as much as they can. All right. Uh, Keith Smith with us here uh, at Keith Smith NBA looking at tonight's uh, game one. You know, this Warriors team, when we think of the Warriors, it's Curry, Clay, Draymond. Uh, but what about the other guys? Who are they and how do they affect this series? 
Yeah, the main other guy is Jordan Poole. He's just been fantastic off their bench as a scorer. Um, he's really struggled defensively in these playoffs, and that's cost him some playing time. And he'll be a guy Boston will look to go at when he's on the floor on that end. But offensively, he's kind of like a mini combo version of Curry and, and Thompson where he can shoot, he can handle the ball, he can pass, he can kind of do it all on that end of the floor. Kavon all of this run too but he's been kind of the unsung hero of this uh playoff run he's a good screener on offense he's really done a good job getting to the offensive boards and then defensively he really does a nice job for them on the defensive end and then andrew wiggins somehow this guy was an all-star he's being overlooked because i think we all go immediately to the core members of this warriors group but he's had an outstanding season probably his best defensive season ever and then offensively he's been the, the you know really good player even though his numbers are down a little bit, but that's more of a volume thing in the fact that he's playing, you know, as a fourth, sometimes even fifth option in some of their lineups. But he's had an outstanding year, too. So this is a good team with a lot of talent up and down the roster. Yeah, and, uh, you know, Draymond and, and the way, you know, he likes to play the head games, and that's what he's been very good at. Does that affect this Boston team at all? You know them well. I, I feel like that's not something. It might affect Dallas. It might affect some of the other teams they face. But does it affect this Boston team? Yeah, I don't think so, especially not having just gone through Miami where P.J. Tucker tries a lot of the same stuff. Uh, Jimmy Butler's known to be that way. Kyle Lowry will try to do those things as well. They, they've been through it. They also went through the Bucs, who were the champs, and then went through the Nets, who, you know, with Kevin Durant and a few other guys had a lot of veterans. And these guys, I think the Celtics are pretty well battle-tested. When they start to get a little bit sideways, that's when you tend to see uh, Ime Udoka either take the time out and do it himself or Al Horford will calm everybody down. Occasionally you'll see if he marks smart. We'll go and get Tatum or Brown and kind of bring them back into the fold and say, all right, hey, let's let's refocus. Let's get back you know, where we need to be. So I don't think that kind of stuff's really going to get into their heads all that much. You mentioned Udoku. Um, you know, this has been a, a similar core group of, of Celtics for the last couple of years. What did, what did the coaching change do for that team? Yeah, it was huge. I go all the way back to his introductory press conference. He he looked down the table at Brad Stevens, the guy who he's replacing, the guy who hired him to replace him, and he said, 27th and assist, Brad? Come on, man. And, you know, really just from that moment forward, you kind of knew, all right, this guy's a little different. And he said, you know, I'm going to make you three promises. We're going to move the ball. We're going to share the ball. We're going to play as a team. And he said, we're going to get our stars all their touches that they need, but they got to do it within the way we want to play. Trust the group. The ball will come back to you. We're going to make it easier on you. Then he said, we're going to defend, and we're going to be, be one of the hardest-playing teams. Nobody's going to play harder than us night in, night out. That took a little while to stick, but once it did, you saw him take off. And then the last thing he said was, Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, who all had experience with Ime Udoka in the Team USA system, all said, we want to be coached hard. We want somebody who's going to come after us, call us out when we're not doing the things we're supposed to do. And he did that. He started doing that right away early in the season and it wasn't just the normal you know we have to be better and we have to do this and we have to do that it was jason tatum needs to do this jalen brown needs to do this marcus smart needs to do that even al horford 15 year veteran he wasn't uh you know immune from it either and it was everybody up and down would get a piece of email at, at times and you would say boy you know that might not work but it did and these guys really were receptive to it and that's a big part of the difference here from the last few years um when you look at the coaching matchup, 
Kerr has been here many times. Doko has been on a bench in situations like this. But do you look at that as a factor in a series that seems very evenly matched? Yeah, it definitely could be. I think what Steve Kerr's uh, secret to his success is he knows his roster uh, better than most coaches know theirs. And you'll see him sometimes it's game to game, sometimes it's half to half. Sometimes it's even, you know, a guy's been out there for two or three minutes, and he knows right away that guy doesn't have it. And then that guy goes to the bench, and he goes to the next guy. And that's always been something he's been really, really great about. And he's got the buy-in from his players of, if I don't play it today, don't worry about it. Just stay ready. I might come back to you tomorrow. I might come back to you in the second half. I just need you to trust me right now. And he may don't get times. He's, he's still you know, kind of feeling those things out a little bit. He's still trying to, trying to figure that stuff out and get there. So, so I think what you're seeing with him is, all right, all right we got to get, you know, these guys to a position where, all right, th- this is what we're going to do. But I, I think he's a little underrated in that aspect too. I think he made Oka in the last two rounds. We looked at it and said, well, you know, Mike Bodenholzer won a championship. He's been around a while. And Eric Spolster's won multiple titles, and he's been doing this for a while. And you know what? He made Doka beat both of them. So I don't know that he's overly worried about the guy on the other half of the sideline. All right, um, Keith Smith, you look at an X factor. Is there one for you, or is this, no, the stars, whoever stars shine brighter win this series? Yeah, I think there's a lot with the stars, but I think we can also expect that the stars are going to be really good. I think Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown are going to show up and do their thing for the Celtics. I think Stephen Curry, Draymond Green, Clay Thompson, they'll do their thing. The guys I'm looking at are Derek White. You know, what can he do for the Celtics? He's going to be big. When Golden State goes to those small lineups, he's going to have to play and play a lot. He's going to have to be really important. He is excellent at getting skinny around screens and contesting guys and doing those rear contests and those jump shots when guys think they're open and those kind of things. So that's huge because that's something you need against this Warriors team. Um, He's just got to make shots on the other end. Otherwise, the Warriors will completely disregard him and force the Celtics to play four and five. So as long as he's making his cuts, he's making his shots, he's going to be big. And then for the Warriors, it's who outside of Jordan Poole is going to step up off their bench. They know Jordan Poole will probably give them 15, maybe even 20 points in a lot of these games off the bench. But they need somebody else to give them something. And that's been a question mark throughout the course of these playoffs, somewhat due to injury, somewhat due to inconsistency. So that, that's kind of bench player X for the Warriors as an X factor. Well, you know, one of the things that's interesting is, you know, the Celtics series against Miami, there was a lot of blowouts and there was a lot of uh, games where they weren't competitive in the games. The Warriors, um, it's almost like, you know, they I don't want to say have breezed through, but they had they've been sitting around for a while. You wonder, does the layoff and all that stuff, both teams have had a long layoff, but is this a game that Boston can steal because they've played in a lot of these games and they have played more, and then they had the long rest. They both have had this long layoff, but it feels like this is the kind of game that Boston can get on the road. Yeah, I think it is, too. I think this is a good uh, you know, rest versus rust uh, kind, of, kind of thing out there for, for the Warriors. They've been sitting for a while. They also haven't seen anybody who plays defense the way the Celtics do in a very, very long time. On the flip side for Boston, after going through Milwaukee and, and Miami, which were two of the more playoff, uh, physical playoff series I can remember in quite some time, I think they're going to feel pretty good. It's not that the Warriors aren't a good defense. They're just not an overly physical one. So I think that's going to you know, feel like for the 
the Celtics, like, all right, hey, we have a little bit of room to breathe here. But I, I think the other thing for Boston is they have this chance here to come out and show, you know, hey, we're pretty good. The, the only guy for them that's you know, really, really hurting is Robert Williams, but he's had a few days off now, and he didn't play a lot in Game 7. And when he's had a, had that extra day off and not just one day in between games, he's looked pretty good in these playoffs. So the hope is that he's going to be really ready to go and make a big impact as the game opens up uh, for the Celtics. But, yeah, I think this is going to be really interesting because hey, you don't want to overreact to Game 1 in the series, especially with the Celtics. They, they keep losing them, and then they bounce back and win these <laughs> series. But it is still an important game no matter what. I agree. Um, Keith Smith, uh, former Sixer, Eric Snow was just on with us, and uh, he said he begrudgingly had to pick the Celtics in six. How do you see this series going? Eric Snow is a brilliant man because I'm going with the same exact pick. <laughs> I'm going Celtics in six, and it, 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 I, I, I'm, I'm not super-duper confident in it because I think this is a series that could easily go, go seven games. I think. Uh, you know, since the Celtics figured things out, these have been far and away the two best teams in the NBA. I think we forget a little bit how good the Warriors were this year. Before they started having some injuries to key guys, they were right there with the Suns at the top of the Western Conference. And then they had some injuries, and then they quite frankly said, all right, let's just get healthy for the playoffs. We don't need to win a whole bunch of games. We know who we are. We know what we can do. Um, and then the Celtics, they, they, the way they played, in the second half of the season, they're battle-tested. So I do think that they're going to get this win. I do think they're going to bring home Banner 18. But it would not surprise me at all if we're in Game 7 and there's a ball in the air with the buzzer sounding that's going to decide the whole series. I think this could be that close. He did say if Middleton was healthy, he, he thought the Bucks would have beaten them. Yeah, it's possible. I, it, it's hard to say because, it's you know, I think what we like to do is say, well, you know, they lost by five, and Middleton scores 20 points. So put him in there, and that's a 15-point win. He really stepped up pretty big for them throughout the, the playoff series against the Celtics. So I don't know that it would have gone that way, but I, I think there's a chance it could have gone that way for sure. But as, as we all know, doesn't matter. Didn't that <laughs> the aren't here. I, you know, quite frankly, I don't care any more about them. We'll talk about them in the fall. You're right. You're right. Uh, Keith Smith, uh, the NBA Finals tonight. You can hear the action right here on 97.3 ESPN. By the time Keith is back, we will be at Game 5. I doubt there'll be a sweep, so we'll get ready to talk about that. And that is right here on the Sports Bash. Enjoy the series, Keith. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. As always. Uh, always love Keith's insight and analysis on the NBA, and we'll be talking to him next week right here on the Sports Bash Live 97.3 ESPN. That will be ahead of game number five. I'm Mike Gill, and this is the Sports Bash. I'm getting ready to get out of here tonight. I got one quick segment left before we go. Then you got game night tonight. Brian Toporek at 620 tonight. Talks a little Sixers. Host of the uh, NBA podcast. I was listening to the Ringer uh, Press Box podcast with Kevin O'Connor, and he brought up some very interesting points about this series. Um, I'll bring up one of them next here on the Sports Bash and give you my pick for the series when we get out of here on a Sports Bash Thursday. Now, back to the For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, 
you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. ESPN. Sports Best Live, 97.3 ESPN. Getting ready to get out of here on this Thursday. Game one of the NBA Finals tonight. Um, kind of like the Celtics in this series. The defense has kind of just been outstanding throughout these playoffs. I thought Eric Snow brought up an interesting point that he thought that the Celtics probably would have lost had it not been for Middleton getting hurt. That being said, I think the Bucks are better than the Warriors. So I'm going to go Celtics in seven. Sadly. I hate to say it. Celtics in seven. Josh has you till seven. And then the NBA Finals tonight here on 97.3 ESPN. Be back tomorrow to recap game one, everybody. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.